morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joining me across the way, that is not Zach Goodman, but it is Ryan Blake, my co-host on Give That Fan a podcast for Utah Street Report. Zach called me on Thursday and said that he was feeling under the weather and he may have the flu. He is negative for COVID, so that is good news. Um, but he was unable to come in to do the show today, so Ryan graciously at the last minute agreed to fill in for Zach. And Ryan, we're glad to have you. How are you this morning? I'm great. You know, happy to do it. Always appreciate you uh, offering me the spot when you need an extra hand. And uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, and we are, like I said, glad to have you here. Um, I'm running the board today, and I am rusty. The last time that I ran the board was um, October when we had Luke Jackson here for our baseball roundtable where we went till almost 4 o'clock, the longest show in the history of the Bataround. As far as long as... As far back as the history of me being part of the bat around goes, it right. was the longest uh, show. But I'm back here in the saddle again. You'd think that after doing seven months of Glenn Clark Radio and doing this five, five days a week for seven months, that it would be like the back of my hand. And some of it was, and some of it has not been. Um, do not adjust your screens. That says Zach next to Ryan's head, but we know that is not Zach. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move this off screen, and so now it just says nothing. It's just Ryan's beautiful face. So, kind. I want to let everybody know that today's show is brought to you by the latest edition of Pressbox, which is available now and it's our annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. And he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Com. So, Ryan, you have been hosting very graciously for our podcast. Uh, g- again, give that fan a podcast for Utah Street Report. You've been uh, hosting the Orioles podcast family feud. I don't want to brag, <laughs> but I think Zach and I on the bat around have got to be the number one seed. We've got to be at this point. We've just been torching teams. And when I say torching teams, we were down in the first round, and we came back and won the last three, um, the last, what was it, the last three rounds, I guess it is, in in the first round. I don't remember if you were down, if you lost the first two, or if you were down after three rounds and then won the last two. Yes, that's what it was. We were down after three rounds, and we won the last two to send... Mass and all access to the losers bracket. Mass and all access. I was like, "That's the one seed, man. How are you gonna do? How are you gonna give your co-host the one seed in the first round? What's that about?" Well, we knocked them to the losers, the losers round, to the losers bracket, yep. um, or the consolation bracket, and then they lost again in the second round. And mass and all access is out. Um, we faced off with section 336 in the second round, and in that one, we torched. Um, Zach and I ran away with that. Um, Zach texts me after the show, and he says to me, you have got to be the greatest Orioles historian of all time. And I said, that's very kind of you. 
It is nowhere near factual. <laughs> but I am like the Rain Man when it comes to the Orioles trivia. Uh, when it comes to Orioles history, and in, in part because when I was going through school, and I went through, uh, I got an associate's degree in English from Harvard Community College, and I got a um, a bachelor's degree in mass communications, new, uh, journalism, and new media at Towson, and there were a lot of speech classes and a lot of presentations, and I always, always, always did it on the Orioles, so I am pretty boned up on my Orioles trivia, but we've got a, a third round matchup. In the semifinals, to get us into the championship, we are undefeated, and we're taking on another undefeated team. Yep. What is it Talking Birdie? Is that who we're taking on? The Warehouse Podcast. The Warehouse Podcast. Yeah. That's who we're taking on. They knocked out Talking Birdie in round two, sent him down to the loser's bracket, but they beat uh, Locked on Orioles and Upot Street just a couple nights ago uh, to stay alive. So they're, they'll be facing elimination from here on out, but yeah, you and the Warehouse Pod, 2-0, and sitting pretty. We'll have a matchup. Maybe later this week, early next week, we'll see. I need to get one more losers bracket matchup out of the way, but sure. yeah, I mean, it's it's been a ton of fun, and I think, yeah, you guys are the favorites. And regarding seeding, like I didn't seed the bracket I just know. because I know I'm just giving you a hard time yeah, about yeah, yeah. that. It was all based on who was available on which nights, and of course now I have to do it. I have to have two teams available on the same night, two right. specific teams, instead of the first round where I could kind of set up the matchups based on who was available which night of the week. Sure. But, uh, yeah, moving forward, it's it's going to be a set schedule. We've got, I think, five matchups left. It'll be six if the undefeated team loses in the first championship game. There will be a second. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a ton of fun. It's kind of trivia-ish. Uh, a lot of questions that are trivia-related, some that are are not and just more fun, but they're all about the Orioles, and uh, it's it's been a blast. Yeah, on the last one, I saw, saw both podcasts, and I believe that was... What were the two podcasts that were squaring off? I know that it was Connor Newcomb and the other guy who does. They were they 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 are solo acts, right. and so they were paired up for this whole thing. And it was them going up against. It was Talking Birdie. Talking Birdie. Yeah, 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 they were going up against Talking Birdie, and oh my gosh, it was one of the most epic things I've ever seen. Connor rattling off. All the question was. Right, let me let me yeah let me set the stage a little bit here because um, it's it's very similar to Family Feud in the sense that uh, once a team has three strikes, the other team gets a chance to steal, and they can discuss their answers uh, with their their teammates. So it's Connor and Jimmy Horn who does UPod Street. I team them up since they do solo podcasts. So it gets back to Connor and Jimmy, and the question was: the worst trade in Orioles history is the one involving blank. Now, you could go back many years and find some... Like, Eddie Murray wasn't even mentioned. That was a pretty bad trade. So, you got to remember recency bias, right? So, they're trying to think... There's four answers left on the board. Mm -hmm. And Connor's rattling them off in his head, trying to see what he can corroborate with Jimmy. And he mentions Kevin Gosman. He mentions Jonathan Scope. He basically rattles off the whole 2018 deadline. Because Manny Machado, obviously, was already on the board. Right. Um Mancini was on the board, Arietta, and then the Glenn Davis, Kurt Schilling. By the way, the Charlotte. third player in that was Pete Harnish. Right. I remembered that after the fact. So so there's four answers left. Connor rattles off Kevin Gosman, Jonathan Scope, um, the Zach Davies for Gerardo Parra deal, and then Hunsu Kim for Jeremy Hellickson. He, he lists all of those, and then he goes, but I think the one that people were really mad about was Mike Yastrzemski going to the Giants for a, a minor league pitcher who ended up fizzling out, never made it. And Yastrzemski had a couple really good seasons with the Giants. And Connor and Jimmy decide to go with Mike Yastrzemski, which is incorrect. So the other team gets all the points that they had put on the board. It wasn't even on the board. It wasn't on the board. And then, I, so I reveal the answers that are on the board. 
and it's Kevin Gosman, it's Jonathan Scope, Zach Davies for Gerardo Parra, Hunsu Kim for Jeremy Hellickson. Mm-hmm. All the trades that he had rattled off, and they went with one that wasn't on the board. Now, if it was up to me, that trade would have been on the board. Right. But it wasn't because I'm keeping up with the integrity of the survey that I sent out to Orioles fans. And uh, they didn't vote for Yastrzemski. He might have gotten one or two votes, but it wasn't enough to be on the board. Uh, fortunately, only one vote for the Eduardo Rodriguez for Andrew Miller trade, which I think was a very good trade. Yeah. It worked uh, but, out for the Orioles. It, yeah. it worked out for both sides. But... To say the least, Connor was Connor was down bad after that because that sent them home. They, yeah. they were eliminated after that. And, and the fact that it wasn't just that he named all these other trades that happened to be on the board and they picked one. He named ev- every trade that he named. The only one that wasn't on the board that he named is the one that didn't get picked. So it's yeah. not it's not like he named like sixteen different trades and some of the ones that he named. Every single trade that he named except the one they went with was on the board. Unbelievable. Uh, it was it was absolutely insane. And then, and then, they go to the final round. That wasn't even to send them home. It, that wasn't right. like it. It wasn't even like it, it was like the miracle on ice, right? Where it was in the semifinals that USA beat Russia. But nobody remembers they beat Finland in the championship to win the gold medal. You remember they beat Russia in the semifinals. They lost like ten to one to them in the fir- uh, earlier in the in a preliminary thing. Yeah. That was in the second to last round, and it would have won the matchup for uh, Connor and Jimmy. I think it. Right. I think right. I, it was either the third or fourth. Que- Actually, I can tell you right now. I brought my notebook where I have all my questions. Uh, that was the, yeah. That was the fourth question. That, that was the, that was the fourth question. And so in the fifth the fifth question, it was name an Orioles pitching prospect. And poor Connor, he says. Jimmy, I know that you know the big ones. I know the rest of them. So I'll choose the obscure ones, and you—not even obscure ones, the, letter, the lesser known ones—and you yeah. go with the, with the guys that you that everybody knows. But three straight guesses, Connor got them wrong. He went a little too obscure. Well, the, just the, a bit. The first one that he said was, um, "What was it? the the Neuer?" Right, was Denoyer, and people don't know him enough. And then right. Drew Rom, I don't. Drew Rom was he on the board? Yeah, he was the Drew, third, Drew, number it, three answer. I think it was Carter Baumler. Carter Baumler wasn't on the board, and Kyle right. Brnovich wasn't on the board. I, I was expecting him to do Seth Johnson or Kate Povich, or yeah. uh, I even expected Chase McDermott. Um, I would have fizzled out in that round too, because when when um, when Connor said Carter Baumler, that would have been one of my, either my first or second guess because yeah. I have a lot of hope for Ca- Carter Baumler. The problem is people don't think he hasn't been on the mound much. Right. So, same he, with Brnovich, so people aren't thinking about him. He got some. He got some starts last year, uh, the second half of the season, and it, I, I don't think they ever let him go more than like two or three innings. Right, and he was pretty good. Uh, but uh, but again, he he had Tommy John surgery. He missed all of 2021 and the first half of 2022. So you're absolutely right. Somebody who was given well over slot um, to forego his commitment to college. It was taken in the fifth round of the, of the Major League Baseball draft. You would think he would be more thought of, but because he hasn't pitched in a year and a half, which is also why I was I would have gone Seth Johnson, but I was surprised to see him on the board because the Orioles just got him, and he hasn't pitched for them, and he won't pitch for them till next year. Right. So that was, that was surprising to me as well, although that would have been a name that I would have named also. So... Man, I felt so bad for Connor. You could tell the, he was changed. The re, the rest of, of the of the matchup, he was yeah. absolutely changed. But it's been a ton of fun. It's been super exciting. I get like serious anxiety because I think I take it more seriously than anybody else. 
You I, do. I do. You and do. I, I'm, I'm, I am so damn competitive. I'm so competitive, and I pride myself on knowing as much as I do about the Orioles that if I don't win, like I'll be all right. I'll be, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm over exaggerating. But you'll be, you'll be disappointed in yourself. I will be extremely disappointed in myself. But I was, wa- I'm watching. Sometimes I'm watching them. I'm like, oh my god, thank God that question wasn't given to us. You know what I mean? So I think that we've gotten some some nice questions too. But I'm I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to taking on the warehouse and you know I I, I want to go undefeated. That's my goal is to go undefeated. We'll see if it shakes out that way. Not sure, I, right? Because we're gonna end up facing if we go to the championship. When we go to the championship, we're gonna end up facing a, a team from the losers bracket. So, right. um, but yeah, ton of fun. Appreciate you putting that on and um, not making me have to be a co-host for it so I can take part in it. Yeah. So um, now let's get to the actual Orioles news, and I can stop bragging and patting myself on the back like I'm a champion of champions over <laughs> here. Uh, the Orioles settled on contracts with five of their six arbitration-eligible players yesterday. Yesterday was the deadline, and they managed to get a deal done with everybody except for Austin Both. They're going to go. Um, Orioles are going to file on trial. That's what they do with these with these things. Now these generally. Even though they say, oh, we're not going to negotiate anymore, it's file and trial, they always negotiate. They always figure something out. And I have faith that's what's going to happen with Austin Vogt. They'll meet somewhere in the middle here. Uh, Mullins and the Orioles agreed. There was the first one announced a four point mil- to a $4.1 million contract in 2023. Anthony Santander, $7.4 Dylan Tate, $1.5 million. Austin Hayes, $3.2 million. And Jorge Mateo, $2 million next year. Um, I was surprised to see, especially with Anthony Santander, because they've kind of lowballed him in the past. They asked him to defer money two years ago, which was like the strangest and most embarrassing thing ever. Yeah. And they lowballed Trey Mancini by like $750,000 last year. So I kind of expected more of the same with Anthony Santander. Kudos to them and Santander for getting a deal done and not having to come to that. The last thing this team needs with a, a family lawsuit going on and then saying lift off and then not doing anything in the uh, offseason that's been noteworthy. Uh, kudos to them for getting something done to take one thing away from, I'm not going to say shame, but for lack of a better word, shame. Right. For for right now. Your thoughts on the, on the guys agreeing to the contracts and um, what this looks like moving forward. Austin Hayes, I was also a little bit surprised about. I thought he was a DFA candidate, to be perfectly honest with you, but it looks like he's firmly in their plans for next season. Yeah, we, we had talked about that on our show a little bit, how, you know, it's not 100% clear what Austin Hayes' role will be moving forward on this team, but clearly the Orioles value him. Uh, I think I, I think it's still too early to you know, is he a DFA candidate? Yes. Do I think it's a little early for that? Probably. Only because we were talking about him as an all-star in the middle of last season yep. before he completely fell off. And so there is some potential. Like, he hit for the cycle against the Nationals and then forgot how to baseball. You know, he, yeah. he had his hand stepped on. He got hit in the ribs, the wrist. Like, it was – he could have just been unhealthy the remainder of the season. And that could have had an impact on his play. But for the most part, when he's been on the field, he's been pretty solid. So, you know, maybe he, he gets off to another hot start this year and, and solidifies more of a role. But it's big that they agreed with these guys. A lot of people don't seem to understand what arbitration really is. Like, it's not like these guys were not under contract right. for next season. Uh, they were always going to be Orioles. 
mm-hmm. um, these aren't surprises. Um, even even with Austin Voth, I mean, I think I think he filed at two million, Orioles at one point seven, so it's only a difference of three hundred thousand. They'll come to agree an agreement with him as well. But it, it's nice to just get it out of the way and not have to go to hearings with most of these guys. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely nice. And, and again, just because – and I like that you pointed that out. Because every year we see that these guys agree to contracts and then somebody's like, oh, thank God we, we, we kept Santander, we kept Mullins. They weren't going anywhere, like you said. They, right. they were always going to be here. It doesn't matter how much they were going to get paid. Because your first three years in the league, you make league minimum. And then, and then there, there's – now that now in the new CBA you can make more money um, based on your war, and that happened with Adley Rutschman. Rutschman ended up making one and a half million dollars last year uh, because of he had a five point two war as a rookie, right? So he ended up making more over a million dollars, which is unheard of these days uh, in the past for rookies. So that's a cool thing that they're doing now. But um, it really, just how much you were gonna you're gonna pay them this year and then each year moving forward and that no, that number will go up incrementally unless you extend these guys. Cedric Mullins, uh, is he a long-term extension candidate? I it, it's I wonder and and the same thing with Santander cuz Santander is a switch hitting uh outfielder he's in tremendous shape and he's end up I think he'll end up being more DH than an outfielder at, at a certain point is are those two guys two guys that you consider extending long-term, maybe f- five- or six-year deals? Because they're still in their late 20s. N- neither one of them are 30 yet. I think more so Mullins than Santander, only because he brings more to the table. Uh, mm-hmm. Santander has been a, a great power guy. His his walk rate was significantly up last year from what we're used to seeing, but it still had still a low. 315, I think, on-base percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, Mullins had a down year last year and was still really, really valuable, really, really important Real, yeah. to this team. He's a good player. So I think Mullins is more the kind of player you want to build around, especially a guy who's hitting at the top of your order. You have plenty of guys who I think are going to settle in as middle-of-the-order bats in, in Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. Ryan Mountcastle, I think, is, is going to be there as well. And so... You know, I, I'm not sure you give a massive extension to a guy who's going to be a primary DH. Now, there is, is value in what Santander brings to the table. But when you're in a situation where you want Adley in the lineup as often as possible, so you're going to DH him when you need to, and you've got Colton Cowser coming up, and Kyle Stowers is already in the bigs, you're committed to, to giving Austin Hayes another chance. Cedric Mullins is your center fielder. That's not going to change unless he gets traded. So... I, I'm just I'm not sure there's there's a fit for a long term deal for Santander. Now if it happens I won't complain, um, but I, I think I think Mullins is more likely if they go that route. Yeah, and I, I I tend to agree with you there. Although they're gonna give Santander some run at first base in spring training, and I, like I wouldn't be surprised if the first spring training game, which is usually right around my wife's birthday, which is February 23rd, that's usually right around their first spring training game. Um, I would not be surprised to see Anthony Santander as the first baseman, the first spring training game. Maybe even maybe the first televised um, spring training game. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at first base. They, they hit him ground balls every day before games, uh, before home games last year at first base. They did the same thing with Adley Rutschman. They're both going to get time at first base in spring training, maybe even in the regular season. And if Santander can not only play first base, but play adequately at first base, he ups his value. Uh, to this team and to any other team. And, you know, you can trade for a guy that can play corner outfield. He can DH. He can play first base. He's got power for both sides. Suddenly, and I already think that he's a commodity that people want, suddenly he becomes a top commodity, in my opinion, that people want. Now, what I will say 
is that he struggled down the stretch last year, and this has been the case with him every year, where he's really slowed down at the end of the season. I think he only hit 241. It was either 241 or 248 this past year. That batting average has got to come up. The walk rate's got to come up. Um, even though it did come up significantly this past season, like you said, I believe his own base percentage was 318. Uh, I, I that think, sounds right. Yeah, I believe it was 318. The Orioles' team one base percentage was 305, and that's where I what what times we still got time. Um, that's where I start to question the moves of this off season to this point. Now you brought in uh, Adam Frazier, who when he's good, he's about a 340 OBP guy. You've got a full season of Adley Rutschman. He's going to get you about a 360, 370 on base percentage, if not higher, because you expect him to hit, hit for higher average this year, too. Yes. Gunnar Henderson, that walk rate, he might have the best eye on the team. And you expect him, even if he hits 250, that on base percentage is going to be about 350 to 375. And if he hits 280, his own base percentage can be approaching 400. So same, same thing with Adley. Yeah. So you're going to get full years of all those guys. Taron Viver's a good on base guy. Um, so, the, oh, you expect the team on base percentage to go up, but you still have Anthony Santander, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, um, Austin Hayes. These guys aren't great on base guys. Have they done enough, in your opinion, to up that number? Because, look, the only team that I don't feel like got better this year is Boston in the AL East. Every other team got better. They're... they're they have a lot of question marks in their rotation. Um, a lot of guys we have a lot of hopes for, but are unproven. They only added one guy, and he's not a big-time bat in Adam Frazier to their to their lineup. Have they done enough where they can keep pace in the AL East? It's a, it's a tough question to answer because when you, I, I look at last season, right? The Orioles improved by 31 wins. Mm-hmm. They're, big they're off not doing that again. They're, they're big off se- well, no, they're not. But their big offseason acquisition was Jordan Lyles. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, Rugnetto Dor and Robinson Torinos kind of round out the roster. But there was, there was really nothing aside from that. The biggest improvements that we saw came when Adley Rushman was called up. Yep. And when Gunnar Henderson was called up. And when Taryn Vavra started hitting. When Kyle Stowers started hitting. Um, when, when Kyle Bradish was called up. And, and, you know, he didn't have a great year, but he had some stretches where he was a dominant starting pitcher. Same with Dean Kramer. Um, the, the biggest improvements we saw came with guys we already had in the system coming up and making an impact. We have a whole new crop of those guys coming this year. Mm-hmm. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be in the rotation perhaps to start off the season. DL from, Hall, I think from day one. I think so too. DL Hall I think should be as well. He was mm-hmm. His peripheral stats out of the bullpen last year were phenomenal. The, the ERA was a little high, but everything else looked great. You're going to have Colton Kowser come up at some point. You're going to have Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz all fighting for an infield spot. I think the biggest improvements we're going to see are going to come from within. And that's why I'm, I'm satisfied with the Orioles kind of tying up the loose ends from last year. And not I, I w- I, granted, I would have loved to see them make a splash, right? I would have loved to go out and yeah. get a Carlos Rodon. But you have a, a Kyle Gibson to give your veteran, veteran presence in the rotation. You upgrade Rugnet Ador with Kyle Frazier. You upgrade Robinson Torino. Adam Frazier, sorry. Sorry. You upgrade from Robinson Torinos by going out and trading for James McCann for a, a 20-year-old minor leaguer who wasn't really on anybody's radar. Um, I, I, yeah, so yeah, I think I think they have made small improvements, but improvements nonetheless. And I think we're, we're especially going to see, you know, like, like I said, these, these young guys coming up who we already have in the system, 
There's a lot of them knocking on the door. It's a great farm system. There's a lot of depth, a lot of talent, and it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, I, I 100% agree, and I like that you said D.L. Hall should get the opportunity in the rotation. We have Ben McDonald coming up um, at 11.05 today, and we're going to talk with him at length about D.L. Hall. Now, the ERA for Hall at the big league level was 593, but his FIP, his fielding independent pitching was 165, yeah. which is absolutely absurd. The, 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 the discrepancy there is huge. You never see it that high. Um, so I, I look at that. And I look at, and I always come back to this, and some people give me some grief about it because the guys I'm about to name are all Hall of Famers. But imagine if the other teams, if the Astros, I'm sorry, if the Mets and the Astros had given up on Nolan Ryan, if the Expos and the Mariners had given up on Randy Johnson, if the Orioles had given up on Jim Palmer when they were walking the world early in their careers. And I've mentioned this numerous times. Randy Johnson, at age 26, 27, and 28, those three years in a row, led the majors in walks. What did he do after that? He won 255 more games and five Cy Youngs and became a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I'm not saying D.L. Hall is going to become a Hall of Famer, but I look at a couple of things that are working in his favor. One, he's got an elite arm, and he's got four pitches that he can throw at any time. He, he legitimately might, and some scouts will tell you, he might have better stuff than Grayson Rodriguez. Absolutely, but, but Grayson Rodriguez has better command. Right. And that's the issue with D.L. Hall. So you look at that, and then you look at the fact that last year, he had to be added to the 40-man roster or be exposed to the Rule 5 draft, which ended up not happening. And if you had, hindsight, with hindsight being 20-20, if you had a crystal ball and you could have seen that, you probably don't add him to the 40-man roster, and then he's allowed to go to, to minor league spring training. But that wasn't the case. You didn't know that the Rule 5 drive was going to be completely done away with last year for that for just that season. And you had to add him to your 40-man. He missed minor league spring training. He couldn't work out with the Orioles coaches, couldn't work out with the Orioles trainers. So he missed all of that development opportunity in the offseason. This offseason, he has all of that opportunity. He has a complete offseason to work with Chris Holt, to work with the development team, to work with the trainers, and to get into spring training, maybe even early, and get his early work in. He had the lowest walk rate of his season last year was when he got to the majors. And it, look, it was four walks per nine innings, but it was about a walk and a half below what it was at the minor league level. Yeah. And that's what the, the limited amount of time that he got working with Chris Holt. This guy deserves an opportunity to be a starting pitcher. That's what you drafted him for. You can't give up on him that quickly. No, you definitely can't. You not. can't give up on him that quickly. It's and way too early. Way too early. And look, I am perfectly fine with saying, "Hey, we we think you're a starter. We think you can be an ace starter for us. We're going to start you out at AAA, and go down there and get ten starts for us, and prove that you can do this, and you can get get that control." Uh, that, that command under control, and then we're going to bring you up, and we expect you to be part of a run for us. Because I do believe that the Orioles potentially have three aces in Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and Kyle Bradish. And if those guys pitch the way we think they, the way that we've seen glimpses of, uh, the, the Orioles rotation could be special. It really could be. And I, I want to bring this up. I don't know if it's a fair comparison or not, but you talk about D.L. Hall having a, a 165 FIP out of the bullpen last year. Small sample size, granted, but in in comparison, 2016 Zach Britton, who had one of the best relief pitcher seasons we've ever seen, his FIP in 2016 was 194, about 0.3 higher than D.L. Hall. So maybe not a fair comparison. Obviously, it's a small sample size for D.L. Hall. Britton pitched out of the bullpen that entire season, had, what, 
47 saves, a 0.54 ERA. So a, a very special talent there. But like you said, Paul, it's way too early at this point to give up on DL Hall as a potential rotation piece. He has he doesn't have a ton of big league experience under his belt. We've seen a lot of guys improve their walk rates at the big league level. Felix Bautista, CNL Perez, just to name a couple. And so you, you have to give Hall that chance. The way that these scouts rave about him is is impressive. And if he ends up being a failed starter and you have to put him in the bullpen, he's going to be dominant there. But don't put him there until you're kind of backed into that corner. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, and we know his opinion on D.L. Hall. So we're not going to talk to Stan about D.L. Hall. He thinks he should be in the bullpen. Um, we do have Stan the Fan Charles on the line with us. Stan, good morning. It's Paul. It's Ryan. How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? We are doing very well. Thanks. For- I hope he feels better soon. Yeah, he, uh, if he is listening, I'm sure he appreciates the sentiment. Yeah, he called me on Thursday and just said that he, he doesn't have COVID, so that's good, but he thinks he has the flu. So I just told him it's better okay. better safe than sorry. So, Sam, we were just talking. A lot of bad a lot of bad stuff going around right now. Oh, you're, you're telling me my wife was sick for over two weeks. She finally got antibiotics so that she could get over it. It was all through the holidays, man. It was dreadful. Um, yeah. So, Stan, we were just talking about how the Orioles settled on the contracts with five of their six arbitration-eligible players. Uh, Cedric Mullins uh-huh. and the Orioles, they agreed to $4.1 million. Santander, $7.4 million. Uh, Dylan Tate, $1.5 million. Austin Hayes, $3.2 million. And Jorge Mateo, Two million dollars. Both the only player that remains unsigned. Stan, what are your thoughts on um, them agreeing to so many of the to all but one on the contracts? And do you think that any of these guys, like Cedric Mullins or and Anthony Santander, for example, are candidates for long-term extensions at some point? Um, it sure doesn't look like that's the way this this organization is doing business right now. So I, I would. I would hold off on any thoughts about uh, long-term extensions anytime soon. Yeah, I, I and as far as my thoughts, uh, players apparently are happy with what they're getting for right now, and uh, you know their their focus is on getting to camp and and getting getting off to a good start. I'm sure. Now I know that the Orioles are usually file on trial with guys that they can't. Um, agree to terms with uh, by the deadline. Um, but then they seem to always find a way to figure it out before they get to that trial. And nobody wants to go to trial, especially the players, because then they, they just get told why they're not worth the money that they're asking for. Do you anticipate that being the case with Austin Both that they'll probably just end up agreeing to something in the middle there? I would think so. Uh, you know, Austin doesn't have an awful lot of leverage and, uh, it seems to me that that would be the most sensible thing, and that's you know that's what I would expect. You know, they've got another month before uh, players start to you know filter into camp, and uh, I would anticipate both signing at some point. Yeah, I, I think that that's the case, and that, that's a guy who can either be a long man out of the bullpen, or he was really good in the rotation the second half of the year last year. So he's an important player for them, and he's going to be here one way or the other. It's just a matter of how much they're paying, yeah. and hopefully they figure it out so yep. the player doesn't get. Bad, uh, bad vibes towards the team. Now, the Orioles made a trade with a division rival, which is fairly unusual, but it's kind of a low-key trade. They, uh, Mike Elias uh, sent the Boston Red Sox cash considerations for the services of Darwinson Hernandez. Now, this is a guy with a 
big arm. We're talking like a Felix Bautista type of arm. Um, however, the walk rate is it was above seven, I believe, last year. So was the ERA. He's got to get that that under control. But if he does, Stan, is this maybe another diamond in the rough for Mike Elias for that bullpen? Well, I wrote a piece uh, on on the website about it the other day, and uh, he certainly look. He's twenty six years old. Mm-hmm. He, it's not like he's a, a puppy anymore. Sure. Um, he he really fell back uh, out of control last year. Um, his own run average was twenty one over six major league innings. Mm-hmm. His WHIP was over three in six innings, and he gave up. Four of the ten major league home runs he's given up, he gave up last year in six innings. Something was wrong. Right. You know, whether he just sort of lost it or whether he was pitching injured, uh, that was not, you know, this was a this was a kind of a diamond in the rough type of pickup, in my opinion. Uh, and there's not a lot to lose here if, if it doesn't work out. But uh, you know he's a he's an interesting arm. You know, and in 2019, he was the number one prospect in the uh, Red Sox organization. So I've been familiar with him a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, something was wrong last year, and if the Orioles can find out what it was and unlock the key to his talent, yeah, he's a. There's uh, no reason he couldn't be a, what a CNL Perez is or something like that. You know. Yeah, and and if he is, you know, a, a strong bullpen just got that much stronger. And I really do think yep. that the bullpen this year, Stan, is going to be such a key component to the Orioles' success because I, I do believe that if they get through the fifth inning with the lead, they have, they have some great pieces back there that can win more often than not uh, in those scenarios. Um they do. They still are in the market for another starting pitcher. It's been well documented that they wanted to get a couple of guys for the rotation, preferably an arm towards the top of the rotation. The only addition to this point has been Kyle Gibson. Now the Twins have been linked to the Miami Marlins in a trade that would be potentially involving Luis Arise, the defending American League batting champion, in a package for Pablo Lopez. The word is that the Orioles remain in contact with the Marlins as well. When you figure that that the talks with the Twins start at their AL batting champion plus other players, would you be willing to part with something that's of equal value from the Orioles in order to get a Pablo Lopez, or would it have to be uh, a Jesus Lazardo instead for you to be willing to part with something that big? I'd, I'd much rather aim for... Look, if, if I woke up tomorrow and Pablo Lopez was a member of the Orioles' rotation, I'd say, great. You know, I mean, he's a definite plus. He'd probably be the the number one starter on the Orioles. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy, knowing where they are with dollars, he's a guy that's probably going to make 6 or $7 million this year. And he's got, I think, two years control. The other pitchers are further down the food chain and are earning less money and are, to me, much more attractive. They're four-year, um, you know, four years of control with Lizardo and Rogers and those guys. So I'd be much more interested in one of those guys. You know. Yeah, and, and given what we have. We don't have we don't have a package that surrounds uh, Max Kepler and uh, and and Luis Arraz, you know. Yeah. First of all, I've heard that Arraz is not gonna be would not be a part of that deal. So it would be to me it would be something like Kepler and maybe another young player for like a Luzardo, uh, okay. if the twins pull it off. 
And so, um, I, I don't think the I think Lopez, if he gets traded, is going to go to the Dodgers. That's where I think he's going to end up. Okay. So at, at this point, what is your um, your hopes for the Orioles pulling off any kind of trade for another another pitcher? I'm almost convinced, Stan, that they're basically done making any other moves right now, except for maybe Michael Waka. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm just not sure about that. Yeah, I, it certainly doesn't look like uh, that, that that trade that I've been wanting for so long is is even close to happening. You know, um, yeah, I, I don't see us doing anything at this point. Yeah, I, I think that they're gonna. I think they like what they have uh, internally for their rotation candidates, and I think that they like what they have on offense. I think that they think that um, Adam Frazier kind of elongates the lineup if you put, maybe put him in the two hole and then you have Gunner batting third and Rutschman batting fourth makes that lineup a little bit better um, and I think that they're, they're ready to move on move forward and see what they have with this team for 2023 where they stand currently so now and where they stand currently stand in my in my humble opinion is that they're still probably the fourth best team in the American League East and that's because uh, Trevor Story uh, has to have internal brace surgery to repair a torn. He just had it to repair a torn UCL. Rather than going the Tommy John surgery route, he's still expected to miss a large chunk of the season, if not the entire season. But the Red Sox, they went out and they got that outfielder from Japan. They made some moves for the rotation and for the bullpen. But it doesn't really feel like they got much better. Had the Red Sox done enough to even pass the Orioles in this division? Well, it's a little early to know how it's going to rub out, but it, it, clearly to me the Yankees and Toronto are the two best teams in the division. Um, Tampa's got to have a lot go right for them to be as good as they've been the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I could see the Orioles perhaps, you know, if, if stuff breaks right with the current crop that they have, John Means comes back, in, you know, in June and, and gives you maybe 60. Sixty innings this year, um, and pitches at his level. I could see the Orioles possibly, um, you know, finishing ahead of Boston and Tampa. Uh, okay. But Tampa, you know, uh, if Tyler uh, wants his glass now comes back and is really powerful, um, you know, they might be tough for us to to bypass. Well, yeah, and they're they're going to have they're they're getting back guys like Brandon Lau, who spent the end of the season on the. Uh on the IL and Wander Franco missed most of the year. They're going to get those guys back for their for their lineup. Um, so they they could be back. And I every year, Stan, I write Tampa Bay off. I look at their roster. I'm like, they're just not that good. And then they go out and they win 90 plus right. games. You know, so I, I'm not right. I'm not writing them off anymore. Um, but I, I I hope that you're right. I hope that the Orioles can somehow find a way to get past them. I look at the Yankees and. They added they added uh, Carlos Rodon and their 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 rotation. When you start with Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon, and then you look at Nestor Cortez and um, uh, Luis Severino, they have a formidable rotation, and they they re-signed Aaron Judge, which makes that lineup that much better. And I believe they brought back Anthony Rizzo too, right? He they did. He, he got a two-year deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I look at the Yankees lineup, and I think aside from Judge, this is a beer league softball team. Uh, do, do you really believe that their lineup is that much better? We saw a really bad summer swoon from them this past year, and they have all the same guys. Yeah, um, I still think they're. I still think they're much better than the Orioles at this point in time. You know, the pitching is just much better. Yeah, you're, it's much you're more right. proven. Yeah, 
You're right. the The starting rotation is incredible, and they added Tommy Canley to the back end of that ro- uh, the back end of yep. that bullpen again. Um, so the bullpen should be back and, and better this year and healthy and healthy. You know, and, and again, all this d- d- depends on health. And and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan, they're they're not surefire things to be healthy. But if they are, and they're in the middle of that lineup, they are a dangerous team. So we'll we'll see how all yeah, that. Rizzo Rizzo's got a Rizzo with the with the end of the shifting, and every team's got probably a candidate or two that are going to be aided by that. But Rizzo's a guy. Uh, who hits a, hits a lot of times into that shift. So yeah. without the shift, he may be a much more formidable player. And, and Stan, I'm glad that you brought that up because there are a bunch of role changes we have yet to talk about this offseason that are going to be implemented in 2023. You're looking at bigger bags, um, which is going to cause more stolen bases. You're looking at the at uh, only two pickoff attempts for a pitcher, and a, a third one, if he doesn't pick the, the, the runner off, it's basically a balk. He gets the next, the next base. There's going to be a pitch clock. Um, so, and then there's no shift, like you just alluded to, only 13 or 14 games against your division opponents. How much do these changes impact the Orioles? Does, do these changes make the Orioles, I I, I guess they make them better, but does it kind of even the playing field a little bit more, uh, when it comes to the talent discrepancy? Well, I I think it's, it's going to be easier for the Orioles in that they'll play more games against lesser teams mm-hmm. you know i mean the american league east historically has been one of the tougher divisions in, you know to to uh, reside in so i think it it helps the orioles in the short term with that thing but you know the bigger bases uh could be very interesting for a team that had two guys that were right there for the base lead you know it could easily get those two guys if they're on base and running more those two guys themselves could get another 20 base stolen, you know, between the two yeah. of them. So it's 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 quite interesting to, to watch that change as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's uh, – hold on one second. Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the changes. So uh, I'm excited to see some of this uh, difference this year. Yeah, I, I, I think that with an Orioles team that's got some speed, when you look at Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins, and then you add in the speed of Gunnar Henderson to that, it, it makes them uh, you know a little bit more dangerous, especially if those guys get on the base paths. And that's where you kind of got to kind of worry about the low on base percentage, stand. And the, the team on base percentage this past year was 305, and it was even worse against left-handed pitching. Um, it was 297. Adam Frazier's a nice addition. They have the, the they're gonna have full seasons of Gunnar Henderson and um, Adley Rutschman, who are big on base percentage guys. But do the Orioles have enough on base capabilities to make these rule changes uh, be a positive for them? Because you know the the it's nice that Jorge Mateo led the American League in stolen bases last year, but his on base percentage is two sixty seven. Uh, do they have enough on base guys to make it an impact? Uh, that's the it's uh, a sixty-four thousand dollar question. I, I certainly don't think they do. You know, I think they have too much swing and miss in a couple of the key players in Santander and Hayes. And mm-hmm. If the two of them, we come into May and both of them are off to good starts, um, we have a chance to we have a chance to compete. You know, yeah. But uh, those two guys are big question marks to me, um, and. Um, 
you know, Hayes especially. I mean, Hayes has got to find a way to stay healthy mm-hmm. and find a way to be productive. You know, from the second half of 2021 to the first two months of last year, it looked like he had it really all figured out. Yep. And then he got hit in the hands a couple times, you know. Got so stepped on. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard, that he was injured and tried to play through some things. But the bottom line is the bottom line. At the end of the day, he's, he's a substandard player right now because of that, that yeah. on-base uh, factor. And, and with that in mind, was it a little bit surprising to you that the Orioles didn't... I thought that he was a potential DFA candidate if, if he didn't get traded. The Orioles just agreed to pay him $3.2 million this, this upcoming season. Is that a bit of a surprise to you, given what you just said, his injury history and how just how awful he was from July on last year? Yeah, um, I'm not really surprised. I expected him to be dealt, but I guess that uh, I guess that uh, you know nobody found him attractive enough to to acquire. You know, yeah. he certainly he certainly does, he's he's not even as good as Max Kepler. That's why the yeah. Twins are still talking to the the Marlins and the Orioles. I don't know what they're talking about. You know, what they'd be talking about to get. Jesus Lozardo. I mean, yeah. I don't know if Urias and Hayes would be enough for Lozardo uh, in the eyes of the. Uh, but but that's the kind of deal I would be looking to make. Yeah, and the the problem there is that Michael Elias said at the winter meetings he's not really keen on trading big league talent for big league talent. Um, yeah. So you have to wonder how willing he'd be to put those two big league players in a package for yeah. a starting pitcher. So you know, or maybe a Stowers and a Urias or something like that. But, yeah. you know, clearly the Marlins and the Orioles have a fit, but maybe the the people running the show in both places don't see the fit the way I do. Yeah, you know? or the way a lot of us do. Um, and we're, we're, yeah. talking, we're talking about on-base guys. We're talking a lot about um, the other uh, teams in the division. And Brandon Belt, that was a target of, uh, of a few of us here um, as maybe a, a, D, a left-handed DH and potential backup first baseman for, to Ryan Mountcastle and somebody who can hit for power and can get on base at a really high clip. And he goes and he signs with the Blue Jays. And along with, uh, with Chris Bassett, who the Orioles were interested in, who also signed with the Blue Jays, that's two players now who would have been nice fits here that go to that particular division rival. Uh, for me, it's... It, I'm not going to say it's a gut punch, but it's a oh, little... We've been, we've been talking about this for, for four or five months. You have a very different notion of what the club has to spend versus what, what the reality is. I mean, you're talking about $30 million more to a payroll, and the Orioles just are not there right now, Paul. Okay, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, I get that, but I mean, we're, ta- we're not talking like putting them up at $100, 120000000 million. We're talking about putting them up at like $70 million. But, Paul, the reality is the reality. The, the payroll that they have now, they're struggling to sign like a Michael Waka. I, I just don't, I don't you know, I, it's pretty obvious the way they're doing business, and we sort of go back over this territory. Brandon Belt, it was an additional $8 million, and they weren't going to go in that territory. Yeah. Now, we can argue whether, he's, whether he was a better pickup than Adam Frazier, which he may very well have been, but but the way it fell and the way the Orioles put this together, they aren't you know they they weren't in the market. I was hopeful that Chris Bassett was a realistic uh, acquisition by the Orioles. They they probably weren't even in the fucking ballpark. Excuse my language. 
Okay. Uh, look, I, I Stan, I, I agree with you that $8 million is going to be too much for Brandon Belt, and I don't think they were remotely close to the money that Chris Bassett... When, when I learned that they that their offer for Jameson Tyon was essentially two years of $15 million per, they weren't remotely close on those guys. Right. More so, what, what I... It, they're, these guys are signing with division rivals and division rivals who have been beating the crap out of you for the last several years in in the Toronto Blue Jays. It's not so much that it's like, well, why couldn't the Orioles spend that money? But then to see them sign with these other teams is basically what my point is. Is, is I'm not again, I'm not going to say that it's a gut punch, but it's is it not disheartening to watch these guys who were targets you were signed with a division rival? It. If, if you're watching how your team is operating and you, you approve of most of it, this is a factor that they haven't yet gotten to, is spending money. Yeah. And it gets back to the uncertainty in the ownership and what they actually have in hand to spend. Um, you know, it's, it's a very difficult, uh, you know, I feel like I'm talking about the Lamar Jackson thing. It's a very difficult needle for the team to thread to satisfy uh, the media and to satisfy a large base of the fans, you know. But but when you see the way they're operating, it, it's just that, that that's not going to happen right now. It might happen if attendance is back near two million this year, mm-hmm. uh, and they have some money next year. Then I think they you know, and some of the other revenue streams are kicking in. Then maybe that's when they play. You know, they don't think they don't think that that additional money is gonna is going to pay off for them right now, and that's why they're not doing it. It's not like Mike Elias doesn't know that Chris Bassett uh, would be better than uh, you know Austin Voth or you know whoever else. They they're just not there yet. Okay. Yeah. No. I, and look, I and to that point. I can understand why they're not there. Uh, aside from what's going on with with the ownership and everything about that, just the fact that they have so many prospects that are knocking on the door, so many guys that they still need to evaluate. And if we're being perfectly honest, last year was meant to be this year. So I still understand the fact that they're evaluating what they have in house. Um, I just if it gets the next off season and we see the same trend continue, it's going to be harder to justify in my opinion, but that well, will be a conversation from a year then, from now. Uh, hopefully by then a Stowers and a, and a um, Colton Kowser are really more a part of the equation, and hopefully by that time they've made the decision that Ryan Mountcastle is the guy that they think he is or he's not, and then at that time they may have to do something with that position. So it, they've, got, they've got a ways to go, and they're strapped they're strapped in the cash uh, category. You know that that became apparent watching this off season unfold with so much money being thrown. But you look at how the Toronto Blue Jays draw versus the Baltimore Orioles, and that's the big difference right now. Yeah, no, y- y- I, I, it's I not a, it's not a one two issue. Michael Elias isn't there going, geez, I really want to get you know Michael Waka instead of Chris Bassett. There's got to be a reason for it, and they're threading this needle, and they don't have the assets that the other teams uh, have. You know, I mean, we're not even going to have the payroll to Tampa Bay Rays, probably. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing, because you may have star players that you're paying league minimum. 
uh, for the next few seasons. So I, I, I get it. Uh, but I also think that that's even more reason to go out and spend some big money on somebody because you have so many good young players that you're paying a fraction of what they deserve. So, but again, yep. that's something we can revisit uh, this time next yep. year. Uh, before we let you go, Stan, and, and I'm glad you brought up yep. Lamar Jackson and threading this needle with the fans. And I didn't put this in the notes, but I meant to, and I meant to text you about it. We're looking at the potential, Stan, of the Orioles having traded away Manny Machado and the Ravens either trading away or, honestly, and the Ravens potentially trading away Lamar Jackson in about a five-year span. And I posted this on Twitter the other day, and while I'm never going to root for any other teams, like I'm always going to root for the Ravens, I'm always going to root for the Orioles, how tough of a pill is that to swallow for a city fan base to see a guy like Manny Machado and a guy like Lamar Jackson get traded away in their prime because you couldn't pay them what they were asking for? Well, in the case, uh, two different cases. In the case of Manny Machado, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, it, in the case of Manny Machado, the club waited too long. They, they at one point were close to like a five-year deal, and then Peter had cold feet over some of the medicals. Uh, you know, there, there there are legitimate reasons to have feared that his knees were going to really affect him career long and that you were getting into a situation uh which is why and and at the time it wasn't like a 10-year deal i think it was like a five-year deal that would have you know kept them around longer mm-hmm. um but we'd be nearing the end of that five years now you know we'd be into year four i think sure. uh, of it um with lamar jackson it's it's not it's not really about the money it's not that baltimore can't afford it or sure. just the shoddy can't afford it. It's it's a very big gulf of difference between uh, you know the use of the franchise tag uh, and and paying a guy guaranteed money uh, that you don't want to guarantee. Uh, so it's a very different thing. And uh, in some ways, the, the the Lamar Jackson thing is much more difficult because. It, it starts to question, it starts to question is, had Lamar Jackson signed that long-term contract and been given exactly what he wants, would he be on the sidelines right now, or would he know he's got his money, and would he be trying to, to push forward? Uh, it starts to, to, to question uh, his judgment, um, there's a whole can of worms with Lamar Jackson that didn't really exist with Machado. Yeah. So the two situations are both gut punches, but they're they're vastly different in in how you know. And you also have the player in the case of Lamar Jackson showing a great deal of immaturity. You know, with the uh, you know the the back and forth with somebody on Twitter where he started to use the suck my, you know, you can mm-hmm. suck my, you know what. Yeah. Um, is that is that the guy that you really want leading your team? Whereas Manny Machado was maturing in how he handled things. Remember the year that he had the fight, the couple fights? With Donaldson, uh, yeah. One was with Josh Donaldson, and he had the thing with the pitcher that died for the Kansas City. You, Giordano Ventura, uh, and then and then he had the yeah, thing where he yeah. stepped on Aguilar's ankle in the World Series, or in the yeah. um, in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah no. and the 
Yeah, and the thing with um, uh, the second baseman that retired for the Red Sox. Oh, yeah. Pedro! I, I still think that was that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate not, That was nothing. But but there was a perception right. that he was doing wrong stuff. Uh, that that perception doesn't exist anymore. Correct. That Machado, he's become much more of a leader uh, out there in San Diego. But it's a, it's a, that's an interesting topic. Yeah. All right, Stan. We we are up against. We got Ben McDonald coming up, so we got to get out of here real quick. What do you got All coming right. up this week? Uh. Looks like we got Matt Blood uh, Monday night, but it's going to be probably at six thirty. Okay, and it'll just be either Luke and I or me by myself. Uh, Grimsley is out of town; he's on the Orioles cruise, and Gary and I haven't locked up a guest yet for Thursday. All right. Well, we will be sure to tune in. To, right. Matt Blood's a big guest, so uh, right. good luck with all that. Stan, right. we'll talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Talk See to you up. soon, Paul. Bye. And that was Stan the Fan, Charles, who in 2023 still has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with former Major League pitcher Jim Gott, whose first career win just so happened to also be Game 1 of Cal Ripken's streak. And Stan and Gary caught up with Ahmad Gafir from InsideTheBlackAndGold.com to discuss Maryland recruiting. Find those shows under the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com slash video. Uh, Stan, it says on here Stan and Ross, but Ross, like Stan said, is on the Orioles cruise right now. So it's going to either be Stan and Luke Jackson or just Stan going solo. But they will be back on Monday at around 6.30 for another great show with Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood. So you do not want to miss that we had Matt Blood on the show once and he was absolutely fantastic I had him on my podcast as well he's great yeah Matt, Matt, Matt Blood is the man uh, we got to catch a break want to remind you that the batter round is brought to you by Pressbox Online's offers you can cash in on the Ravens Bengals primetime wild card game simply by going to pressboxonline.com slash offers to sign up and bet $20 with Caesar Sportbook you get all you automatically get $100 in additional free bets. Just bet $20 and get another 100 to play with. Go to pressboxonline.com/offers now to start winning. When we come back in, former Orioles pitcher and current broadcaster, former number 1 overall pick Ben McDonald will join the program. That's next on the Battle Round. A fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Experience the best in Kamado Grilling, a complete outdoor cooking appliance. The Ginsu Kamado Grill allows anyone to sear, grill, bake, and smoke all types of food. Designed for efficiency and function, the Ginsu Kamado Grill upholds the enduring legacy of the iconic Ginsu brand. The Ginsu Kamado Grill is perfect to cook all year round, is great for parties, and ideal for tailgating with your friends. Reserve your Ginsu Kamado Grill today at ginsugrills.com and get $100 off on your pre-order when you use the promo code tailgate that's ginsugrills.com reserve yours today stand the fan here welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors the costas inn and everybody around baltimore knows the costas inn is a great place to go and grab crabs steaks salads soups whatever's on your mind to eat in person but did you know that the costas inn has upped their game they are now one of the premier takeout places in baltimore give them a call now to order your food 410 477 1975 that's the costas inn over 4100 north point Boulevard. All right. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Thanks again to Stan the Fan Charles for joining us for his weekly segment. And uh, Stan, in his excitement over um, one of my questions, um, he, he, he dropped a language, uh, a word that we're not allowed to use on the air, and I want to apologize uh, for anybody that was offended. I'm not apologizing for Stan. Stan's a great guy, and he afforded me this opportunity to do this show. And it's just sometimes, in the heat of the moment, words get dropped that we're not supposed to say. So if anybody uh, was offended, or if it's if anybody's listening that could they, where there could be blowback, I just want to apologize on behalf of Stan. Um, I, I know he did not mean to drop that word. So, um, But thanks for continuing to stick with us if you are still sticking with us. We do have Ben McDonald coming up here in a matter of moments. Um, but real quick, Ryan, I want to get, while I get Ben on the line, I want you to give us your take on what, the, what you expect the Orioles to do with their infield because they've got Gunnar Henderson, they've got Ramona Rios, they've got Adam Frazier, they've got... Jorge Mateo, that's four guys for three spots with Connor Norby and Jordan Westberg knocking on the door. What do you expect this team to do moving forward? Because there's a log jam there, and if they're not going to make a trade, they got a lot of guys for not a lot of positions. To be honest, I don't know what I'm expecting. I, I can tell you what I would do if, if it were up to me, and that would be you, you move Jorge Mateo in, in a trade. There has been some... There have been some rumors of interest in Jorge Mateo as a potential trade candidate. Now, whether the Marlins have any interest in, in including him in a deal for a pitcher, we don't really know at this point. But yeah, Paul has said it many times on the show, his on-base percentage was 267. He, yes, I know he's fast. Yes, I know he plays good defense. But you have Gunnar Henderson, who you're moving to third base, which, by the way, is the position where Ramona Rios won a gold glove last year. So it's it's... You know, I talked about all the young guys coming up. It's a good problem to have, but at the same time, you, you want to put your best foot forward. And I think having an infield, obviously Adam Frazier is going to play. You're giving him $10 million. You're not going to have him be a utility guy. And so 
he's going to be your second baseman. I would personally like to see Gunner at either spot on the left side and give one of the young guys a chance. That's 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 my take on it. I think you have to move one of Mateo or Arias, but I'm not making the calls. And with that in mind, joining us now, former Orioles number one overall pick and elite pitcher in my mind and current Orioles broadcaster who has a new contract now Ben McDonald is live with us Ben it's Paul it's Ryan how are you today how we're doing guys everything good yeah man we're, we're doing good we're inching closer to the baseball season so we're, we're loving life over here you gotta be loving life you just signed a new contract with Masson how's that working out for you Man, I'm glad to get it done. You know, of course, you know, Baltimore has always been my second home. I was a kid. I was 21 years old when I got caught up to the big leagues, you know, and and became a man in Baltimore in a lot of ways, you know. And so it's always been my second home. I love doing Oriole games. Uh, Last year, as you guys know, 83 wins made it a lot more fun to do games compared to the previous years, you know. Absolutely. uh, I'm tickled. I'm tickled to death to be a part of the you know first class organization like the Orioles, and of course, more importantly than that, and more exciting than that is where I think the future for the Baltimore Orioles are going to be. You know, the next four or five years and moving in that direction. Yeah, and and to that point, Ryan and I were just talking, or at least Ryan was. He was talking about what. what the future of the Orioles looks like as early as this season when it comes to their infield. Because right now, they've got four guys who deserve to be everyday players uh, petitioning for three spots in the infield, and that's Adam Frazier, Gunnar Henderson, Ramona Rios, Jorge Mateo, and then they've got Connor Norby, and they've got Jordan Westberg knocking on the door down at AAA, and you're talking about the one guy in Norby who led your minor league system in home runs with 29, and the other guy, Jordan Westberg, who was your minor league player of the year, what are the Orioles going to do about this about this logjam that they have for their infield? Do you anticipate a trade? And, and that's before we even talk about Jackson Holiday, who could be here as early as 2024. Yeah, you know, what a wonderful problem to have, right? right. I mean, we just think about this. We've come a long way, the Orioles have, in the last two or three years. From, you know, from previous spring trainings, the previous probably wondered how we would even fill out a 26-man roster to now having a potential gold glover who can't find his, you know, can't find his way on the field right now when right. you talk about, of course, Ramon Urias, you know. And so it's a wonderful problem to have. I mean, look, Gunnar Henderson's in there. He's an elite player. I don't want to get too excited about him just yet, guys, but, I mean, wow. What I saw last year in a short amount of time, wow, you know. And, of course, I love Jorge Mateo. I think defensively, uh, you know, he, he is a difference maker. He showed that last year. Do we want the bat to get better? Yes, we, we want the bat to get better. But let's give him his second full year to see what he can do. Plus, making the bases bigger. You know, he, you know, he may go out and swipe instead of 35. He may get you 40 this year, which could be a difference maker as mm-hmm. well. You know, and so, and Adam Frazier, we know about the bat-to-ball skills with him. Just 31 years old, uh, left-handed swinger. Doesn't strike out much at all. He really controls the bat head through the zone. Uh, gets on base. And so what do you do with Mateo? What do you do with Westberg? What do you do with Connor Norby? Those are great questions. In the back of my mind, I still feel like there's a trade coming. Maybe it doesn't come in this offseason. Maybe it comes around the trade deadline. I don't know. But, I mean, you, you kind of look at Michael Elias' blueprint and what they did in Houston. This is kind of what they did. They stockpiled the town. He did what he said he was going to do with the minor league system. He built the number one minor league system in all of baseball. And now you have an abundance of talent that is out there right now. So I think if the right piece comes along, you could see a move. I think there's a lot of things that could happen this year. You know, heaven forbid the Orioles fall out of the race. I could see a potential trade of Adam Frazier. Uh, and then all of a sudden you give Westberg or Connor Norby an opportunity to hop in there and play the rest of the year or something of that nature. You know, so there's a lot of different ways that you can go, but it is a wonderful problem to have. I don't think a trade's going to be made just to make one. I think it's sure. going to be the right move, and that's what we've seen with Mike Elias. 
but it's a good problem to have, guys. Let's be honest. No, you're absolutely right. It's an incredible problem to have. And I, I honestly believe that in 2024 or 2025, you're going to see a left side of the infield where, that features two all-star players in Jackson Holiday and, and Gunnar Henderson. I, I love the problem that's facing the Orioles right now. Uh, another problem, though, Ben, that's facing the Orioles is they've got a lot of rotation options. They've got a lot of arms that intrigue you. You're looking at... Um, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, uh, D.L. Hall potentially, uh, John Means could be coming back. But these are a lot of a lot of unknowns to this point. They go out and they acquire Kyle Gibson. They stressed the need to add a top of the rotation arm. But as of 11:11 Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning, he's the only rotation move that they've made. And you talk about potentially. Um, uh, trading i imagine the trade would be for starting pitching do they need to do that or do you anticipate that this starting rotation can be pretty damn good in 2023 well i mean i mean look as a fan i look at it i I go yeah i want a real number one like we all want a real dude like a real shutdown number one kind of guy i think they're hoping that grayson rodriguez develops into that obviously he will not be that this year this will be a big learning year for him i think he's in the rotation barring some type of injury in spring training or just poor performance. I really think it shakes down, as you mentioned. I think it's it's Kyle Gibson. I think it's Bradish and Kramer who both deserve a chance to be in the rotation. I think they pitched their way into the 2023 rotation last sure. year. I think Tyler Wells is back. I think it's going to be Gracian Rodriguez. Now, what do you do with the rest of them, right? Austin both had proved himself to be very valuable last year. D.L. Hall, for me, guys, right now, from what I saw last year, I still think he's a part of a relieving core this year. I just don't know that he's ready to be a starting pitcher unless he just comes out and wows me in spring training. I know they said he's going to get an opportunity to be a starter, but I also think while we're trying to sort things out right now, I think he could be a valuable piece from the left side down in that bullpen, a guy that comes in and just kind of blows and goes with a couple of different pitches and can get you out of the innings from time to time. But remember this, though. This will be Kyle Brash's first full year. This will be Dean Kramer's first full year. Tyler Wells didn't make a full year last year as a starter. He did the year before as a reliever. This will be Grayson Rodriguez's first full year in the big league. So in a lot of ways, this is going to be a learning curve for these guys. And I don't think you can expect Rodriguez, Tyler Wells, Dean Kramer, or Kyle Brash to go out and give you 32 starts this year. I just don't think the Orioles are going to go down that road just simply because they have never done it before. And that's why you're going to need an Austin both. Maybe you'll see D.L. Hall get some starts towards the end. Maybe Spencer Watkins is back in the fold again. So you're going to need, in my opinion, even if everybody stays healthy, you're going to need eight or nine starters just to get you through the year because I don't think they stretch a lot of these guys out over the course of 32 or 33 starts. You know, And, of course, we all hope that Johnny Means can come back in the second half of the season and maybe get you – 10, 10 or 12, maybe 15 starts. And, and again, you never know how somebody bounces back from Tommy John surgery. Some guys come back and fly and close. Others, it takes a little while to get back to what they were. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks out there. But, compared, again, compared to where we were this time last year, I love what I'm seeing from this rotation. Yeah, the, it, it's certainly a lot of intriguing arms. And then Kyle Gibson, he's, he was basically added to be a back-end guy, and he's a guy that's two years removed from an all-star campaign with Texas before he got traded. Now, he went to the Phillies, and his uh, fielding independent pitching number was better than Jordan Lyles last year, but the overall numbers were much, much worse. How big of a factor is coming to the Orioles with a bigger ballpark in Camden Yards and a better defense behind him going to how much of a factor is that for how good he can be in 2023? Oh, 
Uh, look, I expect a pretty big year. If he stays healthy, I expect – I mean, look, uh, the bigger ballpark plays, and when you know you have the confidence, when you have an elite-type defense behind you, I think as a pitcher I can speak for that. You're not afraid to pitch the contact sometimes because you know the guys behind you are going to make the plays and get the guys down. It's when you have a poor defense, and he did a lot last year with the Phillies. You know, the Phillies defense wasn't great for most of the year last year, right. and so he had his struggles with them. And so that puts it in the back of your mind, oh, my gosh, i got to strike every guy out. I can't let the ball be put in play. And so – even though he's a veteran guy, I think the fact that he knows the defense is solid behind him, he's got a big, big fence out there at Camden Yards out in left field. It's a dungeon out there. And so I think it gives you a lot of confidence to go out there and do. And I think, you know, if you go back and look last year, Jordan Lyles' career ERA was, what, 5.1, 5.2, and yet he comes in and pitches to a 4.5 last year, yep. you know, for, for the Orioles. And so, and then, look, he was wonderful. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but a bigger ballpark matters and defense matters too. And so I look for him to have a solid year. I don't think he's a number one, two, or three kind of guy, but he's a guy that's going to take the ball every fifth day. The guy that's been there, he's going to help tutor the young the young pitchers that are out there. He's going to be a big asset in his clubhouse, just like Michael Gibbons coming back into the fold. is going to be a big asset as well. So, again, I like where the Orioles are. Are they up with the Yankees? No. Are they with the Blue Jays? No. Uh, but we've also seen in baseball, baseball's different. I don't think anybody gave the Phillies a chance last year to get where they got you know, going through the year last year. But yet, baseball's a different kind of game. So the question for the Orioles is they won 83 last year. We know it's going to take probably 88 to 90 wins to get into that wild card, to get to the playoffs. Can they figure out a way to win six or eight more games this year? That's going to be tough to do. I mean, it really is. But I like the fact you're not playing the East as much as you did before. you got more games against other opponents that are out there. That should help the Orioles as well. So, look, I'm excited about it. How can you not be excited about it? As a fan, again, I was hoping – in some ways, we would do a little bit more in the free agent market. But I also see where Mike Elias is, and he says, you know what, i got to figure out what I have this year. Is Dean Kramer for real? You know, is Kyle Bradish for real? Can Tyler Wells go out there and, and give me maybe 28 starts this year? How good is Grayson Rodriguez going to be? So a lot of ways, while we're more set in our positions and we know what's probably going to happen this year, there's still some questions to be answered for sure. Ben Ryan here. I, I certainly agree with you that this is an exciting time, and, and the Orioles certainly have a collection of good problems to have with the log jams in the infield and the potential starting rotation. You talk about Gibson coming in and mentoring the young guys. Jordan Lyles played that role last year. How seamless do you think the transition will be for these guys, these young guys who were here last year? They see Lyles walk out the door. Kyle Gibson now come in as that veteran presence. And can you envision a scenario a couple months into the season? where the rest of the pitching staff is wearing T-shirts with Kyle Gibson's face on them that say, best dad ever? 100%, I think. Look, I can only go back to my time. And when the Orioles picked up, there was a young Ben McDonald, a young Arthur Rose, a young Mike Messina in the rotation with the Orioles way back in the early 90s. And a guy by the name of Rick Sutcliffe showed up uh, yeah. in an Oriole uniform, a guy that had won the Cy Young Award, has been an all-star, who had won a lot of games, was a veteran guy. We all were like sponges. We gravitated toward him to try to pick up any type of information, anything that might help us. Now, look, people can tell you all they want to. This is what you need to do to have success in the big leagues. And you listen to that and you take it in, but you never really learn it yourself until you go out there and you experience the successes and the failures that Major League Baseball brings to your way. And when you combine those experiences along with what people tell you, especially a veteran pitcher that you trust, you know, I've heard nothing but great things from Kyle Gibson's clubhouse, the way he tutors young players. And so I think he's going to be a big access for sure, to the uh, you know to the Oriole rotation, to the Oriole clubhouse, and again, I think Michael Gibbons brings that. 
I think Adam Frazier, I think James McCann. Look, we hadn't even talked about McCann. I mean, McCann is going to really, you know, Rutch is great. Rutch is one of the best in the business right now, but he's still got some learning to do from umpires to learn the umpires, learn the hitters a little bit more. And I think McCann's going to bring a lot of that and help tutor a young Adley Rutschman, which will be at his first full big league season as well. You know, so I, I love the pickups. I think the pickups are solid. The veteran guys, I think all four of these guys that we're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, you guys probably know, have probably been in playoffs before. All of them have played in the playoffs. They've all been all-stars, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a good bunch that Michael Elias went and picked up. Oh, yeah. I, I, I made the comment last week or the week before that um, the, the off-season moves individually – they don't blow you away, but when you put them all together, it's definitely a whole is greater than the sum of the parts situation for the Orioles. I do believe yeah. that they're better today than they were on October, on the evening of October 5th. So, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the team looks a lot better. What I do want to go back to, Ben, is you mentioned him briefly, is D.L. Hall and how you think he should be turned into a reliever. Um, and your opinion on pitching far outweighs mine. All right, but I... I believe that taking D.L. Hall and making him a reliever this early in his career, maybe it's something that you do when he can, you bring him back into being a starter once he gets more of that big league experience. But for me, I look at this guy, and he was added to the 40-man roster last year because if he wasn't, he would have certainly been taken maybe with the first pick in the Rule 5 draft if they had had sure, one. Sure, sure. And because he was added to that 40-man, he didn't get to, to work out with, with Orioles trainers during the offseason. He didn't get to be under the tutelage of Chris Holt and that pitching staff during the offseason, and he couldn't go to minor league spring training. So you have this young guy with a phenomenal elite arm who, does, who you expect to be part of your big league plans, and he got none of the opportunity during the offseason to really take the ball and run with it. He has that this, this year. And I look at D.L. Hall, and for me... D.L. Hall is, is, is my dark horse candidate for Rookie of the Year this year, but I think that he should be in a starting rotation. If that means he has to go down to Norfolk and make 10 or 12 starts down there for them to prove that he deserves that opportunity, then so be it. Uh, what makes you so keen on the idea of stopping him from being a starter, at least for this year, and putting him into the back end of that bullpen? Well, let's back up for a second, okay? I think in a normal year, if we'd have had a year like we had in 19, a year like we had in 20, a year like we had in 21, D.L. Hall would have got an opportunity to hop right into the rotation last sure. year. But the truth is, the Orioles were fighting for a playoff spot. And the, the starters were rolling really well at the time. And when you're fighting for a playoff spot, you bring a kid in that you just don't know how he's going to perform, and you destroy him in the rotation, it can be different. For him, especially when you're when you're humping for the playoffs like the Orioles were last year, if they were 30 games out in previous years, I think D.L. Hall would have got that opportunity last year. Sure, I think you're kind of in the same boat this year. You know, in some ways, and you start to say, okay, where does D.L. Hall fit in? I think I never question his stuff. Like I love the arm from the left side, like it's a big time arm. And I'm not saying D.L. Hall's always going to be a reliever. I just think either one or two things is going to happen this year. He'll make the club as a reliever to begin, or like you said, I think they may look at D.L. Hall and go, listen, we want you to go down to AAA. We want you to throw a few more strikes. you got to get a little more consistent in the strike zone with your fastball. I want to see a little bit better breaking ball out of you because I thought his changeup was solid last year. Mm -hmm. His fastball explodes, but I didn't like the command of the fastball. And what we don't want to happen with D.L. Hall Remember now, he's going to be on a pitch limit. He didn't throw a whole lot of innings last year, didn't throw a whole lot of innings the year before because he was hurt. So how many innings can he really give you this year is going to be the question. Where do they feel safe with him and what can they build him up to? You know, and so 
I think that's going to play into the mix as well. But if he can show me in spring training, and it's going to be up to him, and that's the good news about D.L. Hall. I think he controls his own destiny. And his opportunities in spring training this year, if he lights it up and he's filling up the strike zone, I think there's a real chance he does bounce in to that rotation. But I also think he's a guy that if he doesn't do that, they want to keep him in the big leagues, and they think he can be a value from the left side. He's also a guy that could come in in the fifth inning and give you a couple innings and get you out of a jam and give you a little bit of length out of that bullpen as well. But what I don't want to see D.L. Hall do is struggle to throw strikes, and all of a sudden we look up in the third inning and he started the ball game, and he's at 80 pitches in the third inning, and we got to get him out of the ball game. Then it really stresses your bullpen from there. So you got to have some length from your guys. Like these starters this year – we saw what happened to the bullpen last year. The bullpen mm-hmm. was so good, and it was. It was the strength of the Orioles all year long, but I felt like they hit a little bit of a wall late, and that wall was the fact that they were used a lot. That's not Brandon Hyde's fault, but it's the fault of the, in my opinion, of the starting pitchers. They're going to have to go out and give the Orioles some length this year, and I think that's what you hope Kyle Gibson can do. I think Bradish, I think Kramer showed at times last year that he can do that as well, so I'm hoping for a little more length to keep that bullpen a little bit fresher throughout but it's I, I, the good news for dl is he controls his own destiny i do think one day he will be a rotation piece for the orioles but i could see him in a relief role this year oh I, absolutely i i can see that happening too especially because you want your best arms at the big league level and if, if you feel like he helps your team win by being a part of your bullpen then i totally totally understand what i will say what two things that are working in his favor ben um last year his his ERA was 593 at the big league level, but his fielding independent pitching was 165. That's a huge um, mm-hmm. gap. So that's something to look forward to. And then when he was at AAA, his walks per nine were 5.8 uh, per nine. When he got to the big league level and got under Chris Holt's tutelage, it went down to 4.0. So the small yeah. sample size, but the number seems to be trending in the right direction. And no matter what, DL Hall is going to give us some excitement this year, I think, for sure. Now, no doubt. You mentioned the bullpen, and we'll only keep you a couple more minutes. I hope you don't mind that we've run a little long with you. Um, no, not at all. The you mentioned the Orioles bullpen, and it certainly was a strength until they went down until they got down to the home stretch last year. This off season, they've added Michael Givens, and more importantly, they added Michael Givens to be to go back into that role that he flourished in from 2015 to 2018, where he's kind of a jack of all trades coming out of that bullpen, where he can give you an inning, he can give you two innings, he can pitch in the sixth, he can pitch in the ninth. You can bring him in in almost any situation and be confident that he can get you outs. You add that to Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, Felix Bautista, and Brian Baker, and then you bring in another arm in Darwin's and Hernandez, who if he can find that command, that's a huge arm for that bullpen. How much stronger is the Orioles' bullpen this season than it was last year when it was a strength of the team to begin with? Well, we talk about last year, right? And we go into the spring training last year, and we're going, who's going to be the bullpen pieces? You know, then all of a sudden there's a couple of trades to your key bullpen guys right before the season begins. You go, how in the world are the Orioles going to navigate their bullpen this year? What's going to, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, guys start to show up. And, you know, CNL Perez was a lot like, to me, a lot like Darwin Hernandez is. You know, if you take CNL Perez, I think he was averaging lower five walks for nine innings, but he got with the Orioles, and all of a sudden he started throwing strikes, and he was phenomenal from the left side for the Orioles out of the bullpen. Felix Bautista just a year earlier was sitting in double A when the season began, and yet he ends up being one of the most dominant closers in the game. Dylan Tate had a career year. Uh, Brian Baker only had, what, a few appearances in the big leagues leading into the last year. And yet, boy, was he good last year for the Orioles. A little bit of a wall early, but, boy, he finished the season so strong for the Mm -hmm. Orioles. So the bullpen is in a great place this year. And, look, 
there's not a, in my opinion, there's not a lot of opportunities down that bullpen for others. And I really think Bautista, Tate, Perez, Gibbons, Baker are in 100%. I think D.L. Hall is probably in. So it only leaves one or two spots down there to fight for with a lot of different guys. Darwin, Darwin's and Hernandez to me is that kind of wild card down there because we saw him when he was with the Red Sox on pitch against the Orioles and he was dominant. I think he averages what 14 strikeouts per nine innings, but he walks about seven too. So right. if he can get with Chris Holt, you know, and he can get with Darren Holmes and they can kind of reel him in like they did with CNL Perez, he could be certainly a difference maker for the Orioles from the left side. Now, here's the thing, and you guys know this bullpens are very, very at times not consistent. So you wonder what you're going to get. We are all hoping that Bautista is the same, Tate is the same or better, Perez, Givens, you know, does what he does. And bringing Givens in, as you mentioned, he is a different kind of piece than that. He brings a lot of experience. He's back home in Baltimore again, where he had so much success. He's a guy you can use in the fifth, sixth, as you mentioned, seventh. I think it even closed for you, you know, when Bautista's not available or something, you know. So right. he's going to be a big asset down there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you just wonder, I mean, again, Bautista's second full year. Perez really going to get a chance in the big leagues again for a full year. You know, Brian Baker just experienced in his second full year. I thought Keegan Aiken was phenomenal early. Obviously, he hit a little bit of a wall late, too. So I think he's in the mix, too. But I do like the bullpen compared to where it's been in previous years. I think they're starting off way above. But there'll be a surprise somewhere in there, too. There'll be a surprise, you know, with a Nick Vespi or can Hernandez make the club or somebody like that, too. So I, I do like where the bullpen is. And the Orioles are certainly better than what they were last year. But I would warn all the fans, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but I feel like the Yankees are better. I feel like the Blue Jays are better. I feel like everybody got better in the AL East, you know. So it's not going to be easy. But, again, it is baseball. Orioles are trending upwards for sure, and how can you not be excited about 2023? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and I like that you brought brought up that the rest of the division, aside from maybe Boston, because they've had some some um, some bad juju this offseason, um, the other teams in the division got better. And with with in the case of the Rays, they're getting better because they're getting a lot of their hurt players back. Um, right. and, and I look at this team, and one of the big issues for me was they had no true middle-of-the-order bat for that offense. And one game in particular, but a lot of them reminded me of this, comes to mind, Ben. And that was when they had Justin Verlander uh, on the ropes in Houston the second half of the season. The Orioles are going for a sweep there. He leaves the game after three innings, but in that first inning, Mullins and Rutschman led the game off with a single each. And so they're on base with nobody out. You have Santander, Mountcastle, and Hayes coming up. And they all strike out. And Verlander threw one pitch that entire sequence that would have been a called strike to strike out the three batters. And I look at that and I say, the Orioles didn't add anybody to this offense, at least not to this point, to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Did they miss the boat on adding an impact bat, or does the addition of Adam Frazier give them a true number two hitter so then you can move Henderson to the three-hole and Rutschman to the four-hole to make that lineup a little bit longer? No, I totally agree, and that's something we don't talk about a whole lot, but 
look, the offense is going to have to get better this year. You know, let, let's assume for a second the bullpen is still just as good. When you look at the offensive numbers for the Orioles, they averaged, what, 4.2 runs per game, which was 10th best in the American League. I go back to hitting with runners in scoring position and hitting with runners in scoring position and, and two outs, you know, and that's, to me, where the Orioles really struggled. They were at the bottom with runners in scoring position. They were towards the bottom, you know, with runners in scoring position and two outs. That's going to have to get better. The team batting average is 236. I think that was 11th best in the American League. Now, they hit their share of home runs right in the middle of the pack in home runs, but here's one thing that I'm counting on, and I think the Orioles are counting on, too. Ryan Mountcastle will have a much better season this year than what he had last year. I think I in a lot of ways it was a growing year for him. I think Austin Hayes is going to be better this year. You mentioned Adam Frazier. I think he's going to bring a guy that has really good bat-to-ball skills, can steal your base every now and then, plays the heck out of defense. I think he's going to be a difference maker. I look for Jorge Mateo to pick up his offensive uh, numbers just a little bit too. I think Austin Hayes will certainly bounce back from a little bit of a strange year. It was a wonderful start for him, but he really – and I think, look, I think the injuries for Austin Hayes, he tried to play hurt around the All-Star break. We know about him getting hit with the pitches on the wrist and the hands. I mm-hmm. think that really affected him. He's a tough kid. He would never tell you otherwise, but he played hurt for a lot of the year last year. So offensively, the pieces that you have, I think those guys are going to be better. Now, does it get to the point where it's better enough? Can Santander go out and hit you know 30-something homers again? Can he be the switch hitter that he was last year? Uh, hopefully he can. So I do look for the offense to be better than what it was last year, and I think that's going to be the key for the Orioles is being able to come up with those big base hits with runners in scoring position. Yeah, and, and you talk about Austin Hayes, you talk about Anthony Santander, and a guy that kind of gets uh, lost in all this is Kyle Stowers. And he got limited mm-hmm. opportunities last year, but he put up solid numbers in the limited opportunities that he did get. He had the huge reverse splits. Um, against left-handed pitching in the minor leagues each of the last two seasons, but didn't really get m- many opportunities against them this past season. Uh, I, we were talking with our editor here, Press Box Luke Jackson, back in October, and he said that he thinks that the Orioles think there's a big hole in in Kyle Stowers' swing that is keeping him on the bench. What can we expect realistically from Kyle Stowers in 2023? I think he's done all he's going to do at AAA, so I think he's a big league player now. But what kind of big league player is he? That's a great question. You know, I, when I look at him defensively, I look at him to I, I call him big league average on defense, average or maybe slightly above. I think he plays a solid defense as well. I look at his career numbers in the minor leagues, too, and I'm going, why is this guy not getting some opportunities against left-handers? But clearly somebody within the world organization thought that he would struggle against left-handers. He didn't get that kind of opportunity. You know, I would, for me, I would like to see him get an opportunity to see if he is a real piece of an everyday player for the Orioles going forward. You know, now, the question is, how do you fit him in? Do they become platoon players? Is Austin Hayes a platoon player? He doesn't want to be one. He thinks he's an everyday player. And I think you've got to have that. But Kyle Stowers also deserves an opportunity, too. Now, you know Mullins is going to be there, and you know Santander is going to be there, too. But the good news, there's some interchangeable parts. There's some talk that Santander maybe gets some reps at first base this year. We know that he's going to DH a little bit this year. We know that Adley Rushman will probably play first base a time or two this year. He'll DH as well. So there'll be some moving parts. I think Kyle Stowers will get an opportunity but let's not forget, while the Orioles also you, – you mentioned Connor Norby and you mentioned uh, Jordan Westberg. The Orioles have an overabundance of outfielders, too. Yes, you know, and, and we can't forget about Colton Kowser. Heston Kerstad had his first full year last year. I think he was the MVP of the Arizona Fall League. So there's some outfielders that are coming that are pushing, and they will push this year and push the guys at the big league level. And so 
That's why I still think, I don't know if a trade happens now, but I think you could see a couple of our prospects and maybe a big league guy be involved in the trade to go out and get a real number one or real number two kind of starting pitcher, which I think is what the Orioles need right now. But having said that, it's a good problem to have. I think I, I really think when you talk about our prospects that are out there, the Connor Norbys and the Jordan Westbergs, Colton Kalsers, Heston Kerstad, uh, I think they're coming, and they're going to be knocked at the door this year, and the guys at the big league level are going to have to perform. If they do not perform, I think you see these young guys start to get some opportunities this year. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. It certainly is an embarrassment of riches at the Orioles minor league level, and that's why they're the number one farm system in baseball for the second straight year. So definitely a lot to look forward to there. And right b- before we let you go, I have one more question for you, and then Ryan has something he wants to say. Um, NFL playoffs begin today. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to be all for the Ravens. You have to be. Uh, but is do you have a rooting interest in any other team? I'm sure you're a Saints fan, but they're not in it this year. Uh, what's your rooting interest in the NFL playoffs aside from the Ravens this year? Well, of course, I'm watching the Ravens and the Bengals because I, obviously I like the Ravens. But I also like the Bengals because my, my man Joey B, who played at LSU, uh, national champion back, you know, in ni- in 2019. So I'm, I'm kind of pulling for him in some ways, too. But I just want to see a good ball game. Yep. That's going to be fun. But i got to spill the beans here. My favorite team that has been since I've been a kid, believe it or not, even living down here in the Baton Rouge area, has always been the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. And I've always been a Cowboys fan. I go back, way back with Staubach and Newhouse and Billy Joe Dupree and Randy White and Harvey Martin and Robert Newhouse and Dorsett and Staubach. And so – Though it's always been my team. Now, my Cowboys have not been very good as of late. They're in the playoffs. They limped their way into the playoffs. And so I'm kind of pulling for them uh, against Tampa. So I'm watching the Cowboys, watching the Ravens game, Bengals game as well. Uh, you know, never been a big Saints fan. I just, I mean, when I was a kid, look, the Saints fans were wearing bags over their heads, you know. Yeah, and I that's felt true. horrible for Archie Manning because he's running for his life the entire time. So. I gravitated to the next closest team, which was the Dallas Cowboys at the time. So I'll be I'll be plugged in. I don't watch a lot of NFL football during the season, but I'll be plugged in for the playoffs as well. Oh, I'm I'm gonna be. That's all I'm doing today and tomorrow. I do have an indoor winter league baseball game tomorrow at two forty, right in the middle of the first game. But other than that, I'm gonna be watching football <laughs> all weekend. Now, Ben, um, I have a confession to make. When I was growing up, we didn't have a football team, and the team that was on that's every right. single Sunday was the Dallas Cowboys. And this is when they're winning three three Super Bowls in four years. I was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan in the early to mid-90s. And into the early 2000s, to be perfectly honest with you, my first ever jersey was an Emmett Smith jersey. I still have an Emmett Smith jersey hanging in my closet. I loved Emmett Smith. Tony Romo, Tony Romo ruined the Cowboys for me, I have to admit it. He absolutely... And... and and if I may, I'll tell you exactly why. I went. I used to have season tickets. My father and I used to have season tickets for the Ravens. And we went to a game against the New England Patriots in like 1997, 1998. And Drew Bledsoe torched the Ravens for over 300 yards and four touchdowns. And I became a closeted Drew Bledsoe fan. He's the reason I don't like Tom Brady because Tom Brady took his job. And then when he won the NFC Championship game, Tom, when Brady got hurt, Brady still got to start the Super Bowl. So then when Bledsoe goes right. to the Cowboys... And then Tony Romo takes his job six games in. I said, that's it. I'm done with the Cowboys, and I'm done with Tony Romo. Never never gave Tony Romo a fair shake simply because I was such a Drew Bledsoe fan, and now I'm a diehard Ravens fan. And Cowboys, I like them. I like Dak. I like Tony Pollard. I like Zeke. Um, So I'll probably be rooting for him, although I do think Tampa Bay is going to beat him. No offense. 
right, Ben. Well, yeah, we're... no, I look. I would never bet against Tom Brady. I mean, exactly. he only got seven rings and five what Super Bowl MVP. So he's a he's a tough dude to dip, to, to bet against for sure. We're going to let you go here, Ben. I, I let Paul take the reins on these interviews because it's his show. I'm just filling in as a co-host this week. But uh, I wanted to congratulate you on your new contract and just let you know that we're we're lucky to have you. We appreciate your insight, and we look forward to hearing you in 2023. Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. we got a wonderful crew, and uh, our TV crew is awesome. Our radio crew is awesome. The fans are coming back to Baltimore and coming back. It's going to be an exciting year for the Orioles. And I'll see you guys down in spring training. I will be there. I'll be in uniform at uh, some point in time down there. So I'm looking forward to that and certainly looking forward to the regular season, too. Ben, we cannot wait. So glad to have you back for another year broadcasting with the Orioles in 2023. Talk to you down the line. Enjoy the rest of the offseason, okay? Take care, Ben. Yes, sir. See you guys soon. See you. And that was Ben McDonald. God, I love talking baseball with Ben McDonald. Like, oh, he's great. Like, this is the second time that Ben's been on this show with us. And each time, he's like my – he's a, he's a dude. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he's, he's a guy. He's just that, – that dude's we, a dude. We didn't even get to half the questions you had on the list. Yeah, well, I mean – We didn't we, get to ask him if he's been hunting this offseason, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and, and, and if the Orioles had – the Orioles, Orioles fans still aren't over – um, uh, Gary Thorne not no. being here, but man, if, it's if, it's it's been helpful having Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald right, and Palmer. If they didn't bring back Ben McDonald, fans would have been would have stormed the warehouse with pitchforks and torches. They would have stormed the warehouse if Ben McDonald. He he is a treasure for this city, and I'm so glad he's back. And I'm I hope he's here for a really really long time. He's just just a he's a guy's guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Really appreciate Ben McDonald and the time that he took for us today. Um, just want to remind you, again, that today's show is brought to you by the PressBox Online Offers. You can cash in on the Ravens-Bengals game tomorrow night in the wild card round. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. And when you sign up and bet $20 with Caesar Sportsbook, you automatically get $100 in additional free bets. Just bet $20 and get another 100 to play with. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers now to start winning. And look, we've been giving you a ton of money, a ton of opportunity to make money off spending money that's not even yours, that you just got for signing up. But I want to re- remind you that while gambling can be fun, you should set a limit and stay within it. And remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or you can go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. All right, when we come back in, we're going to have another Orioles broadcaster. Jeff Arnold is going to join the program to talk about uh, the offseason, what his expectations were uh, versus what reality was for the Orioles. We're going to have that and much, much more next on The Bat Around. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers started over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets started over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service. A career for life with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. 
Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. It's the perfect time to sign the young basketball fan in your life up for a membership in the Retriever Kids Club. It includes free youth admission to all regular season UMBC home games, plus a t-shirt and a drawstring backpack. Membership is only $35. It makes a great gift. Visit umbcretrievers.com slash kids club for more info. Membership is available for kids 12 and under in the Retriever Kids Club. Again, umbcretrievers.com slash kids club. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 11.40. Fendel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 11.40, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Experience the best in Kamado Grilling, a complete outdoor cooking appliance. The Ginsu Kamado Grill allows anyone to sear, grill, bake, and smoke all types of food. Designed for efficiency and function, the Ginsu Kamado Grill upholds the enduring legacy of the iconic Ginsu brand. The Ginsu Kamado Grill is perfect to cook all year round, is great for parties, and ideal for tailgating with your friends. Reserve your Ginsu Kamado Grill today at ginsugrills.com and get $100 off on your pre-order when you use the promo code tailgate that's ginsugrills.com reserve yours today all right welcome back to the bat around rolling right along on this week's installment of the bat around today's show you just heard glenn clark talking about it if you if you stuck with us through the break the today's show brought to you by the all-new Ginsu Kamado Grill, which is the perfect ceramic tailgate or home grill to sear, grill, bake, and smoke all kinds of foods. Get the details and reserve yours today at ginsugrills.com and use the code TAILGATE to get $100 off your order. Man, we are generous here at Pressbox Sports. Man, you sign up with, with Caesar Sportsbook and you you put twenty you deposit 20 bucks, we give you $100. Would you mind closing that door for me? You go, you uh, check out the all-new Ginsu Kamado Grill. You go to ginsugrills.com and use the code tailgate. We're going to give you $100 off your order. Stick with Pressbox, man. We're giving you money. We're giving you money. Man, great show going on so far today. Really, really love talking baseball with Ben McDonald. I, I'm telling you, man, I could do a whole two-hour show talking baseball with Ben McDonald and still not cover everything I want to cover, man. It's just, it's like a bucket list thing for me, and I'll never stop smiling from ear to ear when I get a chance to talk to him. We'll, so have, we'll that, have to get him on Give That Fan a podcast on a uh, on an off day during the season if we can. Absolutely, man. I, 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 my fa- the fanboy in me comes out when it comes – because there's, like, people that I – like, I think I would love to be friends with, like, Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? <laughs> or, like, Keanu Reeves. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. that would be, like – those would be, like, really cool dudes to be friends with, and I feel like Ben McDonald would be a really cool guy to be, a friend, to be friends with. Like, go grab a beer with him. Oh, or no doubt. Like I think that would just be – Awesome. I, I um, have to say, there was there's a picture that the Orioles posted last year with Ben McDonald in the middle pointing at Adley Rutschman and Jackson Holiday, mm-hmm. flanking him on either side. 
I would love to blow that picture up and get it signed by all three of them, throw it on my wall. Dude, that would That'd be, be sick. That would be awesome. You know, I wrote an article for Utah Street Report um, several years ago when Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bunny were the top two pitching prospects for the Orioles, and the, like they were coming. And they asked me to write this article and uh, compare Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman to Ben McDonald and Mike Mussina. And Mike Mussina is my favorite pitcher of all time. That dude still holds the American League record 17 straight seasons with at least 11 wins. Uh, he won, uh, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to give away the trivia question if I say something here, um, which I think I gave one away, but you probably already knew it anyway. We get on Messina's baseball reference page now that I know. Um, but yeah, th- th- he did that pitching exclusively in the American League East. Should have won a couple of Cy Youngs in there. Should have won 20 games twice for the Orioles. He had back to back season with 19 wins but 95 was cut short and in 96 despite pitching very solidly the last five games of the year with an opportunity to win that 20th game the Orioles just didn't score for him um so he never got to the 20th win but loved Mike Messina and pairing him with Ben McDonald that 1992 season and 93 season they were so damn good together man it was it was an awesome thing to see and I'm old enough that I remember it vividly I wish I could say the same yeah. well I so, don't but I you know what I mean no, I, I, I get exactly what you mean. So. I wish I could have experienced it, but, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you could experience it with Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. I hope so. You Man, know, I you, really you, hope so. You could totally do it do it that way. I thought so. I was going to experience it with Gosman and Bundy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Dylan Bundy, man, and that's, you know, damn his high school head coach. His high school head coach did not care. He cared about winning state championships and national championships. He did not care about what happened to Dylan Bundy after high school, and it was proven when Bundy would routinely pitch back-to-back ends of a doubleheader and throw well over 200 pitches, p- complete games in in both of them, and the high school coach didn't care. And he, uh, to me, Dylan Bundy, who is maybe the greatest high school pitcher of all time, the Gatorade National Player of the Year, I think he gave a one run his senior season, something stupid like that. He was ruined because his high school p- coach didn't didn't take enough care of him. Yeah. But um, I, what's your take on this Orioles rotation um, as we move forward? Right now, I think that the Orioles rotation is sneaky good, I, I, and I think and, and Ben's right. You're not you're not going to see a sub three ERA out of Grayson Rodriguez his rookie year, and you're going to see some bumps along the way. But I think that that's a dude who could pitch to he could end up pitching to about a three five to three seven ERA his rookie season. Thoughts on the Orioles rotation moving forward as we get Jeff Arnold on the line? Yeah, Grayson. I think you know, like like you and Ben said, he's not going to come out and light the world on fire. At least it's it's not likely. There's always a chance, but. You know he's he's gonna have some outings where he comes out and goes you know three and two thirds and gives up six runs and walks five. You know that's that's gonna happen. That's gonna be part of the growing pains. And we have to temper our expectations. Yes, we expect him to be an ace at some point. Will it happen this year? Probably not. But there's a ton of upside in this rotation, man. You look at Grayson Rodriguez and his potential, DL Hall and his potential. Kyle Bradish was really good. Seemed to settle in down the stretch. Dean Kramer pitched to a 3.23 ERA last season, which is is far better than we expected from him. Austin Voth was fantastic once he came here. Tyler Wells has potential. John Means is going to come back. Kyle Gibson might return to all-star form. You never know. But, man, it's there. there's a lot of question marks in the rotation like we've talked about. There's a lot of guys who could not live up to expectations. But if half the guys we're talking about come close to those expectations, it's a formidable rotation. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of upside there. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I really, really think that the uh, that the Orioles rotation could be 
a strength for them. Again, a lot of these guys are unproven. They're going to have to live up to some of these expectations. Some of them are going to have to have are, are going to have to prove that last year was no fluke. And and those guys that we're talking about are Kyle Bradish's last thirteen starts with the three two eight ERA and Dean Kramer. But if if they do that with you add Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Gibson, I think he's going to be a lot better. Just like Ben said, he's going to be a lot better. Yeah, I think the the Orioles rotation low key could be a strength for them uh, in 2023. A lot has to go right, but it absolutely could be. And, and with that in mind, we've got another Orioles broadcaster. Uh, Jeff Arnold is on the line with us. And Jeff, first and foremost, good good morning. Thank you for taking some time with uh, Ryan and I today. Our normal co-host and producer, Zach, is sick. So Ryan graciously uh, agreed to fill in last minute. First and foremost, how are the holidays for you uh, over, this, over the past few weeks? Well, it's good to be with you guys on this Saturday. Um, holidays were a little little interesting this year, but um, but for the most part, it, it ended really well. And um, I'm excited that we're we're into the new year, and excited for the the start of baseball season in about a month or so. It's uh, it's pretty cool when you you get the announcement of the the date where pitchers and catchers report, and and we're uh, we're getting pretty close. So so that's always exciting. Yeah, the off season always seems to move by so quickly. You blink your eye, and it's the end of the season's done, and now you're in spring training again, and it's only about a month away. So we are certainly looking forward to that. And Ryan and I were just talking about the Orioles rotation, and we're gonna lead into that, and we're gonna refrain from using the L word that's been thrown around so much <laughs> since about August. But so we're just gonna ask you this, Jeff. How has this offseason compared to your expectations for this offseason? I think when it comes to, to the offseason, and you, you heard all the stuff about liftoff, and I, I'm guessing that's probably the L word yes, that you guys are, are referring to. Um, you know what? I, I think you have to just take the context in which that word word was used. I mean, that could have been meant more for, for, the, for, the, for the clubhouse as opposed to the the actual, you know, off-season itself. But, you know, I think what you, you have, and, and we had Eve Rosenbaum on the other night, um, one of the Orioles assistant general managers, to kind of talk about the, you know, one of the things we discussed is the expectation of, of how the free agent market was going to look and how it actually uh, ended up coming into being. And it was just, a, it was a crazy free agent market. I mean, when you have 10, 11, 12-year deals being signed with players that are taking them into their 40s and, and you know, maybe some players who are obviously very talented, but, but you know, you just see those kinds of contracts that were thrown out there and um, you, you're just like, that's a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big, uh, you know, that's a, you're, you're biting off a lot if you're, if you're given a deal like that. So, so I, I kind of wonder a little bit with the Orioles if, if the market transpired in a way that they weren't necessarily expecting um, I, I think that they've got some solid pieces. I think Kyle Gibson is due for a bounce-back season. I think Adam Frazier is due for a bounce-back season. And it, it seemed like one of the reasons why he came on board was because um, he knew that the Orioles could, could help him with some of the things he was trying to fix. Um, and then I think Michael Gibbons has been one of the best relief pitchers the Orioles have had in the last 10 years. So, mm-hmm. so when you think about it, you, you have gotten better. Um, you haven't made a super splash and a big flashy signing. Um, but I do think the team is better, and I think you know when you get a full year of Adley Rutschman and and Gunnar Henderson, you're you're anticipating um, what they can do and how much better that they're going to be, and uh, hopefully it's gonna it's gonna be a year where with these additions and maybe some um, at spring training, maybe something at the trade deadline, that it's going to be enough to get this team in the postseason. 
Yeah, and I've used this phrase about a dozen times over the last couple of weeks, Jeff, but this offseason, like you said, nothing splashy, but when you put everything together, it's a whole is greater than the sum of the parts situation for the Orioles. And I agree, the Orioles are a better team now than they were at the end of the 2022 season, and they could be getting even better. Now, you began your career um, broadcasting in the minor leagues, and you rightfully so worked your way up to the Orioles, to the big stage with the Orioles. And the Orioles once again have been named the number one farm system in baseball. Grayson Rodriguez and Gunnar Henderson, they're expected to be on the club from day one. D.L. Hall could be either in the rotation or the bullpen. Uh, and then you have Jordan Westberg, the Orioles minor league home run leader, and Connor Norby, and number and 2021 number five overall pick Colton Kalzer knocking on the door. Not to mention Joey Ortiz, who was just added to the 40-man uh, roster the, oh, oh, over the past uh, couple of months. With with that in mind, is it safe to say that you know we all took liftoff to be uh, to be better, th- greater than what it was going to be because this year is still a huge year of evaluation. I mean, to be honest with you, like liftoff is is just a it's just a term, it's just a phrase. You know, GMs and and different baseball executives say stuff like that all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what it, it could, I mean, it, it could have any number of meanings, and and I don't think it's really worthwhile trying to dissect what exactly it was at the time. But but you know, there's there's I'm sure lots of free agent deals that that were out there that the Orioles were involved in, and they talked and. And they saw what they were going to have to pay, and I'm sure in a bunch of the trade deals as well, what they were going to have to give up. And it it sounds like they're still very active at trying to team. Um, and maybe it's going to happen via trade before spring training starts. You, you never know. But with all those names that you mentioned, um, those are players that they very well could help you out in the major leagues this year. They could also be pieces that you trade for um, any number of free agent uh, or well, you know there's a it's a lower list of free agent pitchers right now but you know trade candidates for for possible other organiz you know for other organizations where it's like hey we need uh we need this or we need that and it's like you, you can you know talk to any number of teams um so you have the farm system to be able to make those kinds of trades assuming that you're like i think this is the right move to make and and that's when you have the number one farm system um, that's great, but you also have to be like, all right, who is going to be there to help us right now, and who are we comfortable enough in dealing to to get this in return? And um, it, it's not as easy to do that when you have such a great farm system. I'm sure pretty pretty lofty projections for some of the the players that you just mentioned, and and many more. Well, yeah, and and one of those guys who and he made his big league debut in 2022 is DL Hall, and. Look, I've been beating, beating a dead horse here. I think that D.L. Hall is should be 100% counted on to be a starter, whether he starts in Norfolk, whether he starts at the big league level. But even Ben, when we just had him on, thinks that he should start the year in the bullpen. Now, he thinks that he should eventually be moved back to the rotation. But I just think that he's so young. He has now a full off season with Darren Holmes and Chris Holt and the Orioles trainers they didn't have last year. What are your thoughts on D.L. Hall? Do you agree that he should be in, in the bullpen, or is he a guy that you think, hey, send him down to AAA, let him get a dozen starts under his belt, prove that he belongs here, and then let's ride? I mean, to be honest with you, I think he's a relief pitcher right now for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could be a multi-inning reliever. Um, I think he could still be a starting pitcher, too. Um, the one number that you have to look at throughout his entire career, which has hurt him, is the walks. Mm-hmm. And in the major leagues, it's especially it's especially difficult to, to deal with that, especially when you're facing very disciplined offenses in the American League East. 
Now, I do think that if you were to put him in the bullpen, that if there's any number of roles that he could fit into. Like at the start of the year, you have him stretched out coming into spring training to pitch multiple innings, and then he begins the year, and then maybe he pitches a couple of innings as your starters are still getting into the, the flow of the season. Um, it might be a spot where he's your he's your kind of fireman, where you bring him in in a tough spot, and he's there to get you a couple outs because – you know, we also can't forget how how he closed out that game at Yankee Stadium um, at the very end of the year, and how impressive he looked there. So, mm-hmm. um, to me, the the best moments for for DL Hall for me have been as a relief pitcher. He only made one major league start, um, but but I think that as it stands right now, with all the things you could do with him as a relief pitcher and his his upside there, that's where I would probably place him. But um, but as at the same time, he's got a starter's arsenal, and if he can figure out the command piece, then maybe um, starting pitching is something that uh, he's going to do this year or maybe down the road. And you mentioned the need to be able to throw strikes, especially in the American League East when these offenses are so disciplined at the plate. And that's kind of where the Orioles offensively fall short to these other ball clubs is that they're not disciplined at the plate. I mean, they, their team on base percentage last year was 305, and it was 297 against left-handed pitching. Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle fell off a cliff after June last year, and the Orioles' only major offensive acquisition was Adam Frazier. But do you think that bringing in Adam Frazier is actually a bigger move than it seems on, on the surface? Because if you slot him into the two-hole, now you're going to have guys like Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman hitting in the middle of your order instead of it being uh, lower OBP guys like uh, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, and Austin Hayes. Yeah, it could be a situation where he slots in the two-hole. It might be a spot where you put him at the very bottom of your lineup to help you know, set the table. And, and I think you're hoping that... that over the course of the offseason, you're, you're going to see some guys get back to maybe the form that they showed earlier on. I mean, if you look at the, the Orioles' offense from a year ago, um, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, they were all roughly league average players. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you feel like with Mullins, you weren't going to have a 30-30 season again. That was just completely unrealistic to expect that. But he still had a solid year. Um, Austin Hayes, might have dealt with some injuries, but he found a way to stay in the lineup. So I think that might have had something to do with his, his not as strong second half. Um, and then Ryan Mountcastle, we all know just how bad a luck he had mm-hmm. um, and how many of those balls he would hit onto the warning track and they would be caught or he'd think he'd have a home run and it would hit off the top of the wall. Um, he just couldn't buy some luck. So I feel like that that, that bound turn um, in this upcoming year. And he got better at first base, too. You, you can't, you know, fail to, fail to, to, to you know, you don't want to forget that either. But sure. Um, I feel like if you if you get better seasons from those players, and then Frazier knows what's wrong with his swing, and he can find a way to fix it, that hopefully he can maybe not necessarily return to the first half form of two years ago when he was an all star, but at least get back into a good spot, and you can move them all around the diamond. So I think that's going to help you out. And and then the players that you mentioned, the guys like the the Colton Cowsers and the the Jordan Westbergs and some of these other guys, big reason why they were drafted was because of their ability to get on base. Um, and, and I think that as you start to see those guys come up um, with Adley Rutschman added to that mix as well for a full year, you're going to have better on-base players on your team, and, uh, and that's going to make a, a difference in trying to score more runs. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. And I like that you mentioned the Ryan Mountcastle uh, potential bounce back because his offensive peripherals were so much better that his expected on base percent, expected batting average, all those things, they were so much higher than what his actual numbers were. And that brings me to something else that you mentioned, and that's the wall in left field. And you know, a lot of people were up in arms about it. They thought it made the stadium uglier, and they thought that it was going to really impact the offense. It certainly helped the pitching staff last year. But when you look at it after a year of having that, that huge wall now in left field, was is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because it did take a lot of offense away from guys like Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini. It did, but you're trying to compete with some of these teams that are going to score a lot of runs and mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of offenses that are right-handed heavy, especially in the AL East. So you have to, to weigh that against the, the run-scoring piece on, on your side of it. I mean, before, pop-ups would become home runs in July, yeah. and you didn't want to see that continue, especially when you have a bunch of young pitchers who are trying to get their footing in the major leagues. You know, they're prone to, you know, dealing with some confidence issues and, and things like that. So I think moving the wall back and adding Adley Rutschman to the mix was were big keys for the Orioles at home last year. It encouraged everybody to get inside the strike zone more and attack hitters because we saw it so many times in the previous few years, which is, all right, I'm going to get behind 1-0, and then I'm going to try and nibble, and now suddenly I'm behind 2-0, and then I'm going to throw a strike, and then I'm going to make a mistake, and that mistake oftentimes came with runners on base. And suddenly you're down 3 nothing, and then you got to dig yourself out of the hole. So, so I think when you're not worrying about that as much and you're just getting in the strike zone right away, you saw the differences and how many first-pitch strikes we threw as a staff last year as opposed to what it was before, um, I think that made a big difference. And I think the wall was a part of that, and I think Rutschman was a part of it as well. How good is the Orioles' new catching duo with James McCann and Adley Rutschman, and how big is that for a team that has a, a ton of young pitchers in their rotation and bullpen? Well, consider last year what, what Robinson Chirinos did. And, and, I mean, you can look at the framing numbers and you can look at some of the, you know, the other the other numbers and the offensive piece, which, you know, he admitted, like, it was probably the toughest offensive year he had ever had. Mm-hmm. But what he did bring and what it sounds like McCann is going to bring is, is really good leadership. I mean, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a, a better backup catcher in the major leagues than James McCann. Um, so, he, he, you know, he brings leadership. He'll help out Adley Rutschman. Maybe he can play first base some for you, too. Um, and, and offensively, like last year, is you brought up peripherals a moment ago, um, the peripherals on McCann were, were a lot better mm-hmm. um, than the actual numbers were. And remember, City Field's a tough place to hit. So, so my hope is that he'll be able to bounce back there. But just like it was with Trinos, I think the biggest thing you're looking for is how does he help out a pitching staff? How does he provide leadership? What can he do to continue to help badly in his development and um, when you take into account those couple of things, um, I, I think you got a you got a winner in James McCann. Yeah, I, I love and we're sitting here, Jeff, all off season debating who the Orioles' backup catcher is going to be, and we've kind of resigned ourselves to to the fact that it's going to be a guy who's got great defensive skills, and the bat will be sorely lacking. And then they go out and surprise everybody and, sh- and trade for James McCann, and now they have maybe the best catching duo in all of baseball. It is, it was another brilliant move by Mike Elias, and I think that we're in store for an exciting season from our two catchers for sure. Now, the Orioles provide a lot of excitement last year. The excitement going into this year is palpable. We're all ready uh, to see this rebuild come to fruition. Mike Elias said the goal this year is to make the playoffs. As the roster currently stands, 
do you think that this team has a shot at the playoffs? I mean, I think that they do. And I feel like there is always the chance that the Orioles will get into the start of the year, they will see where they are, and if they have a need that is glaring or they need to do something to make their roster better and they need to make trades at the trade deadline, look at your farm system. You have the best farm system in baseball. You have the ability to do that. And sometimes maybe that's the time to do it because you realize what do we need, how close are we realistically, and um, and that can be the avenue to make your team better. So I think they have the, the opportunity to do it. I think the bullpen is great. I think the Michael Givens ad is, is an underrated ad, and I'm glad that they did that because they have a pitcher now that they can throw three days in a row. Um, Givens was, was really solid when you put him in the you know seventh, eighth innings um, before he ended up getting traded to Colorado a few years ago. Um, so that's a good ad. McCann, I think, is a good ad. I think Gibson's going to have a better year. He was pitching at Citizens Bank Park. It's not an easy place to pitch. Um, he was an all-star just two years ago. So he'll bring a lot of the same things that Jordan Lyles did. And then you're expecting to have Grayson Rodriguez back and healthy and ready to go and hopefully a member of your of your rotation. So when you factor all those other things in um, with the chance that you could add another pitcher before the regular season starts or before spring training starts and then you know what you might get from um, some of these younger players that could come up and also what you could use some of your farm system to, to help you get other pieces down the road, um, I think the Orioles have as good of a chance as, as anybody. And on top of that, let's face it, the schedule is going to be a lot easier this oh, year yeah. when you're cutting into those division games. And, you know, you're going to have to face teams like the Dodgers and the Cardinals and teams like that. But you're also going to be you're also going to see more more clubs. And I don't want to pick on anybody, uh, but, you know, you're going to see more teams like the Pirates. Um, mm-hmm. and, and games like that are, are not going to do anything to, to hurt your chances at, at hopefully getting into the playoffs. No, you you are absolutely correct, and uh, you know, but I do remember a Pirates series last year where the Orioles took the first two games and they couldn't find a way to win that third game, and that kind of started them in the wrong direction towards making a playoff run there at the end of the season. But you rather play the Pirates than not, so I'm I'm with you on that one. Before we let you go, Jeff, NFL playoffs start today. Are you a Ravens fan, or is, is there another team that has your heart for this weekend? Well, I don't know if I'm going to get any grief for this. If so, you're, you're more than welcome to pile on. Um, I am a Ravens fan. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit concerned uh, because of who they're playing. Mm-hmm. But I'm also an Eagles fan because that's where I'm from. So, so I'm, I'm rooting for my root for my Eagles, but also rooting for my Ravens. And I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, you know the Bengals are going to make some some mistakes today, and um, and it's going to lead to some Orioles uh, defensive success, and then maybe the offense can do just enough to to figure it out uh, against uh, against Cincinnati. Now they they got to run the ball and control the clock and play staunch defense. That's, how, that's the only recipe for a chance at a victory today. And I, and I will tell you, Jeff, that even though I'm not a, 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 an Eagles fan, my co-best men and my stepdad are all from Philadelphia, so I do have a rooting interest for those teams, even though they're not my main team. So I'm not going to pile on for you. Uh, if you had said the Steelers <laughs> or the Bengals, I would have come at you. Because, uh, Ben. I don't like the Steelers. I don't like the Steelers. I don't like the Bengals. But yeah. I really don't like the Steelers. That I can tell you for, for a fact. Uh, but uh, but uh, no, definitely uh, definitely Ravens fan. Uh, I've, I've watched all the games. I've seen how they've played. And I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them. Um, and their, their wild card game. And, um, Hopefully they can they can figure something out. It's not going to be easy, but uh, but you never know. Yeah, you, know, you can get to the playoffs. 
I let Ben McDonald slide because he said that he's kind of a Bengals guy because of Joe Burrow. And uh, they're playing uh, the Bengals uh, tomorrow night. I, I I had to bite my tongue, you know, because he's Ben McDonald. But it, it was, uh, oh, man, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure to talk. Always a pleasure when our, when our paths cross. We will certainly talk to you a few more times as we get closer to the season and into the season. Have a great weekend, all right? Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. And that was Jeff Arnold joining us on the bat around Jeff's another one of those good guys, and um, you know he, I, I, he follows our podcast Twitter account. Yeah, he 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 he's um, you know I I text Jeff in the middle of the season last year because the um, MLB radio the, the the MLB radio feed it comes from M- from Major League Baseball like through ninety eight Rock for every team that has like a ra- it comes from MLB, and you would turn on the game, and they would be repeating things. Right, yeah. like you, they, Jeff and Melanie would say something, and then you'd hear something, and then th- what they just said would be repeated. Yeah. And I texted Jeff about it, and I was like, "Hey, man, I just want to let you know that you, you guys are still dealing with that repeat issue." And he got right back, and he's like, "Thank you for letting me know. We were assured that it was fixed." And he's like, "This is a problem that we've had. It's, like, it's not on our end. We've checked everything. It's coming from Major League Baseball." So, yeah. um, and Jeff also, um, I didn't want to bring it up. I already sent him my condolences, but Jeff had a tough loss. Over the holiday season, he lost his dog very unexpected. Oh yeah, very I, I saw that. unexpectedly, and uh, didn't want to bring it up on the air, but w- with him, um, but th- it, that is such a tough blow. It is such a tough blow, and you know he's championing through it. So, uh, you know, my condolences again to Jeff and 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 his family because you it's losing a, a member of your family. Yeah, un- absolutely, undoubtedly. I think so, five years old. He said, yeah, and and there. totally unexpected yeah totally it just it absolutely sucks man it's it's heartbreaking um but thank you to jeff thank you to ben for coming on the show today we've had some great guests thanks to stan as always for coming on the show we have one more break to get to want to remind you that the batter on is brought to you by the toyota tacoma which comes in a range of models and trim lines guys you can choose the perfect tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits all you have to do is check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new tacomas from your local toyota dealer today when we come back in we will close things out with some sounding off from Ryan, we're going to do a trivia question that I think is a good one, but it, and it may stump him a, a little bit here. This Uh-oh. is what he gets for some of these opinion uh, and some of these um, subjective rather than objective questions on the family feud. Which Oriole looks like a cat guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ryan McKenna, 100%. The fact that he was like the number eight answer blew my mind. He was number one. I think I, I think I think Dean Kramer was the right number one for that one, though. Uh, Dean Kramer. McKenna, looked- McKenna should have been higher, but I think, I think Kramer, I don't know if it's the hair, the man bun he'd wear under the cap sometimes, but I think I think Kramer's one for me. McKenna probably two. Yeah, but we, we've got a great question for you. That I'm ex- I can't believe I've never thought of this before. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but that and our final thoughts next here on The Better Round. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. 
It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Looking for some excitement in the new year? Laurel Park has plenty of live horse racing events to spice things up this January. The much-anticipated winter meet kicks off on January 1st, plus we've got special MLK Holiday Racing on Monday, January 16th, and the Winter Carnival Stakes on Saturday, January 21st. Winter may be cold, but the racing at Laurel Park is hot. Learn more about upcoming January events by visiting laurelpark.com. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Bad Round. Been a big show. Been a hell of a fun show, man. Love talking to Ben. Love talking to Jeff. And Stan was animated today. And um, so it's, it's been a great time here on the Bad Round on this Saturday, January the 14th, the beginning of Wild Card Weekend. Can't wait to watch football, man. I cannot wait to watch football. But I also can't wait for sounding off with Ryan Blake. Sounding off today is brought to you by... Glenn Clark Radio. Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcast. You have no excuses not to catch Glenn Clark Radio. It is freaking everywhere. And you never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Mike Golick, former Ravens Eric Zier and Bryant McKinney, Baltimore high school legend turned Charlotte head coach Biff Poggi, and Dave Ginsburg unveiling his Hall of Fame ballot. Find those interviews and the Tyus Bowser show with special guest Kyle Hamilton in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Ryan, sounding off. What you got for us? 
you know, I, I, every time you ask me to co-host the show in Zach's spot, it's sounding off with Zach Goodman featuring Ryan Blake. This is the first time you've introduced it as sounding off with Ryan Blake. You've earned it. So I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, what I want to talk about, it was announced on Thursday night that all 30 AAA parks will use some form of an electronic strike zone in 2023. According to the report, half of the AAA teams will have a fully automated strike zone, meaning every ball strike call will be decided by this system, which is uh, ABS, short for Automatic Balls and Strike System. The other half of the AAA games will use a challenge system, in which teams will be allowed three challenges per game, retaining those challenges when they are successful. Now, we've seen ABS used in a handful of minor league ballparks already over the past couple years, uh, Class A Southeast League, for example. And then people really started taking notice of the challenge system, which was used during the Arizona Fall League just a few months ago. I think the big video that went viral was Jason Dominguez challenging a, a call that was called strike out of the zone. They reviewed it. It was quick, and they got the call right. Like in tennis. it's like it's, They right. do it that way. It's very very similar to what they do in tennis. Um, now, personally, I'm, I'm opposed to the idea of a fully automated strike zone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, I and, and that almost certainly will be implemented at some point at the major league level in the mm-hmm. coming years. But I am 1,000% in favor of the challenge system reaching Major League Baseball. It's easy. It's effective. It takes like five seconds. Mm-hmm. It's very quick. It's not going to impact pace of play by more than, at most, a minute a game, which no big deal. Um, I think clubs will be coached on when and when to not use those challenges. Um, ideally, you reserve them for potential turning points in the game. Um I'm a fan of the human element of the game, right? It's it's always been around. I appreciate that. But I also believe in umpire accountability. And let's be honest, at the major league level, there really is none of that, especially as it pertains to the strike zone, because balls and strikes at this point are not reviewable. And blows, blown calls in big moments are deflating, they're frustrating, and they're flat-out unfair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the balls and strikes challenge system should help in that regard, and I hope that the data collected at the AAA level this season confirms that. Because I would love, I, I, I can't help, when I was writing this, I almost included it, but I, I'm envisioning a scenario where Adley's up in the, the bottom of the eighth with the bases loaded, and we're down by a run. And there's a pitch, he takes a, a front door cutter that's just off the plate, and the umpire rings him up. Mm-hmm. And he goes, nope, take a look at that. Five seconds later, they say, all right, you're right, it was a ball. And then he hits a, a bases clearing double into the gap to give the Orioles the lead. And then you bring in Bautista and, and win the game. He, that's, you actually just described almost to a T one of my favorite moments from this season with Adley Rutschman. He's, he had a bad game against Tampa Bay in, in, the first, in, in I think it was game two of this series. He, um, he went 0 for 4 with like two, two strikeouts. He left seven guys on base. And he's up with the bases loaded in a one-run game in the bottom of the eighth inning. And he takes... He gets ahead in the count 2-0, and he takes a 94-mile-an-hour fastball right down the heart of the plate. Should have been sitting dead right on that pitch, and he just takes it. He ends up striking out on a 3-2 count on a pitch that he took that was below the strike zone. It was a ball, but it was called a strike. Yeah. And everybody's like, that was ball four. And it's like, yeah, it was ball four, but he's the guy that didn't swing at a 94-mile-an-hour center-cut fastball on 2-0. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Wanna, probably want to try to get a hold of that one. So then in the next game of the se- of the series, he has the day off. But he comes up in the seventh inning as a pinch hitter with the Orioles trailing. It's 2-0 again. He's got a guy on base. I think the Orioles were down by a run. 
He gets that same 2-0 fastball, and he deposits it into the right field seats, and the Orioles take the lead. They end up winning the ball game, And that, to me, just showed how mature of a baseball player Adley Rutschman is, because I guarantee he went back to that video from the night before and saw that he took a 94-mile-an-hour center-cut fastball right down the middle and had an opportunity and blew it. And he's like, I'm not letting that happen again, because he sat on that fastball like somebody told him it was coming a week in advance. Yeah. It was awesome, and just a he's-the-real-deal moment for me. So it, like that it was almost exactly what you described. Adley Rutschman up with the bases loaded on a 3-2 count in the bottom of the ninth inning or whatever, 2-2 count in the bottom of the eighth inning, yeah. down one. Um, what if the automated strike zone comes to the baseball and it's all robot umps, and then they prove that Angel Hernandez is actually the greatest umpire of all time, and all the pitches <laughs> that he's called strikes that, were, that looked like balls were actually strikes because a part of the baseball did touch the strike zone. He's proven to be like the greatest. Uh, that's never going to happen. I, I think we have enough data on Angel Hernandez yeah. that we can avoid that one. Yeah, that, that, that whole thing is said very tongue-in-cheek on my part. But I know, what I, I know. What I, what I will say is I don't think I want automated strike zones in big league baseball, but the, the idea of the challenge system intrigues me where there's always an automated strike zone in place, but you still have the human element. Like, and I the think umpire is still calling them unless it's, you know, a big spot and it's an egregious right. call and the, the batter can signal, you know, I want that challenged. And then five seconds later, they say you're right or you're wrong. And it's, and it's just like the NFL where if you win each of your first two, you get a third one. And then every called third strike from the seventh inning on becomes automatic. Yeah. It becomes automatically reviewed. And to me, like you said, it's fast. It's an exciting video. They didn't even show, I, I think in that video, I don't think they even showed that where the ball was on the replay. But you saw the reaction. It was it was indeed a strike, and he walked back to the dugout. He, he couldn't dispute it. And it happened so fast. Like, I think it makes the game better, yeah, in my opinion. You, you leave the human element in, but then you also make sure that you're getting big calls and big situations correct. I, I, right. I Great sounding off segment, man. I, I, I am full bore with that for sure. Now, again, challenge system, review system, but not robot umps from beginning to end. Ex that's exactly where I am yeah, on it. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Time for some trivia here. We have we are Bring through, it on. We are through all of our um, sponsors for the show today. So trivia is brought to you by me, Paul Valley. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, there have been 11 pitchers, Ryan, since 1976 to pitch for the Orioles. And, and listen carefully here, here. So 11 pitchers since 1976 who have pitched for the Orioles who had at least one 20-win season in their career, but not with Baltimore. Oh, dude. Can you name them? Here's no. A, here's a hint for you. All but two have been since 1990. There's a lot of names on here that I think you could get. I, when I looked at this last night, I thought he can probably get seven. Okay, so pitchers who won 20 games not on the Orioles. Who won, who pitched for the Orioles but won right. 20 games in a season but not with won them. Won 20 games elsewhere. And I'm going to give you five misses. Okay. Uh, well, Because it's a big number. 11 is a big number. And it's there's some on here that I really don't think you're going to get. Okay. Well, um we were talking about Messina earlier, so now I'm convinced. I, I on, To be honest with you, I don't know if Messina ever won 20 games as a Yankee, but because of our conversation earlier, I feel like he did. I think Messina has to be one. Mike Messina went 20-9 and nine with the New York Yankees in 2008. Not just that, it was his final season, and he won, he won his 20th game in his final start. He is the only pitcher in Major League history 
to have his first 20-win season come in his final season. Wow. So Mike I, Mussina. I should have I should have known that. Um, all right, I'm going to give you another one that I'm I'm pretty sure of. Uh, Pat Hankton. Pat Hankton. I wasn't sure you were going to get that, but I think he was the answer to one of your questions. On um, he wasn't. No. Oh, he was in. The, he was an opening day starter. Uh, he was. Oh, the, maybe he was. He was uh, but he open, wasn't on the board. But he wasn't on the board. Right. And I, I remember I was sitting at work and I was watching. But Pat Hankin is another one. He went twenty and ten with Toronto in 1996. Let me grab this real quick so that I can erase the ones that you've gotten. Okay. Already. Um, I'm gonna throw out another guess. This one I'm less sure of than I was with Pat Hankton. Uh, Scott Erickson. Scott Erickson, twenty and eight with Minnesota in 1991. So, so far, you're three for three. You still have five strikes left. Okay. And I need to get seven of them, you said? Um, I No. You, or you I, said I, 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 I believe, in my heart oh, of hearts, I believe that you can get seven. Okay. Um, but I'd like to see if you can get all 11. Oh, I, don't, I don't think there's any way. I'm not convinced I'll get seven. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if Jake Arrieta won 20 games as a cub i feel like he did so i'm gonna go with jake arietta jake arietta 22 and 6 with the cubs in 2015 he won the nl cy young that year okay four for four yes sir Uh, off to a tremendous start thank you there's there's a couple on here that to me are obvious but i don't know if you'd think of them because it's certainly not recency bias I'm gonna I'm gonna feel like an idiot if he didn't. But didn't David Wells, wasn't he an Oriole at one point? I'm gonna say David Wells. David Wells was an Oriole at one point, but he never won 20 games. Never, okay, that right. is one miss. Okay, let's see. I think w- when he was, and if you look back, we all thought he was really, really good in New York, and I think he had a stint in Boston as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, Toronto. Was it Toronto? Did he pitch for all three? I think he pitched for Toronto. I, you know what? Let's let's look him up real quick because I'm going to keep thinking while you do that. When I, when you look back on David Wells' career, you think that he was he threw that perfect game and he had he had some big starts for the Yankees. He was considered one of the best pitchers in in, in baseball, but he was pitching in the steroid era and he had a lot of years where he won a lot of games, but his ERA was like four something. Mm. So I'm going to go. Yeah, no, the, the first picture I see is um, of him in a Red Sox uniform. Oh, well, there you go. Did he pitch for the Blue Jays too, though? Um, I feel like he, I have a he, baseball he, card of him on the he Jays. He began his career in Toronto, and then he went to Detroit before he went to Baltimore, and then he went back to Toronto. Oh. What was, what was his, his career high in wins in a season? No, you were you were correct. 20? Correct. He won 20 games in the year 2000. The, the, I used Baseball Almanac, and it, it did not have him listed because I looked I looked through, and every name that I have on this list, I immediately recognized as having pitched for the Orioles. Yeah. I never saw David Wells. And maybe he was on there, and it was just an oversight. David Wells won 20 games. So you are – I'll take away that miss. He won 20 games Sweet. in the year 2000, finished third in Cy Young Award voting. But David Wells, let, let me just go through this, Okay. Uh, he won 16 games in 1997 with a 421 ERA. 17 games in 1999 with a 482 ERA. His 21 season, he had a 411 ERA. I mean, more often than not, he had an ERA approaching four, four and a half, or uh, 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 definitely above four. And he was considered one of the best pitchers in baseball, um, despite that. Mm. But anyway, so I'll take that miss off the board. So there were actually 12. Okay. And you are five for five. That 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 might be. Close to the end for me. I know uh, Ubaldo 
won or was very close to winning a Cy Young with the Rockies, but I think he won 19 games. He did. So he's not one. I, I, I'm trying to think like more recent guys who came to the Orioles at the end of their career. So I will tell you that the last occurrence was um, in the early 2000s. Okay. The last occurrence of the 20-game winner was in the early 2000s. Can you tell me if he pitched for the Orioles before or after that? Before. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I feel... All right, another guy who uh, I believe was good for... Now, you have to remember, I was born in 94. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my memories start, like, maybe 1999, 2000. I was born in 1984, and I can still tell you that the only losing season the Orioles posted from 1960 to 1986 was 1967. So you're... Well, there, there's your, things your like that, but in, in... No, in terms of, like actually watching these pitchers pitch for the Orioles. Yeah. Um, I want to say Jimmy Key. Eh. Damn it. No Oriole bird to, th- to throw across the screen, but that's your f- that is now officially <laughs> your first miss. Jimmy Key never won 20 games. Okay. Watch it. I'll look him up, and he, he won 20 also. Early See, this is, a, this is... This came too easily to me, like, finding these guys. So I want to be sure... And I already have a, me- a mess up with David Wells, so I want to be sure that he never won. T- no, he never won twenty games. His career high was seventeen, which okay. he did twice. No, I'm sorry, his career high was eighteen, which he did okay. once. All right, so close. Uh, so it's a good guess. Then. It's a good guess, but it's not a, a right, but not a right guess. Okay. So you are you have five guesses, five correct, one wrong. Oh man, still ahead in the count, three one, buddy. Still ahead in the count, but man, I like I. I'm trying to think of like late '90s, early 2000s pitchers. Like a, a, a name that came to mind was um, was Chris Benson. I'm not. This isn't a guess, but Chris Benson. I I know had a couple good years with the Pirates. Came here, didn't do much, but he would. He never would have won 20 some, games. He had some good years with the Pirates, but never a 20 win year yeah, with the Pirates. Never, never quite there. Man, all right. So now and I, keep keep in mind that this is since 1976, and two of them, um, are prior to 1990. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, are these are these pitchers who it's like I I would a thousand percent know that they pitch for the Orioles or were they like short stints? Um, one you might not guess. Um, they've all pitched for the Orioles since you were born, and one of them, if you don't get it, shame on you. They've all pitched for the Orioles. No, no, I, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. The two that were prior to 1990 have not pitched for the Orioles since you were born, but the other one, two, three, four, five, the other five have. Shoot. Okay. And one of no! them, one of them, shame on me. No, no. The one guy, the, the shame on you guy has not pitched for the Orioles since you were born, but shame on you if you don't get him. Okay. Huh. You got to give me a second here. I'm like I'm trying to think of like, you know, I'm just I'm running through names. But I'm not sure where they pitched elsewhere where they would have been that good. Wow, Chris Benson only ever had one good year. Every year except for one, his ERA was well above four. Wow. And that that, that good year, he was three eighty five. That was in two thousand three or something. Jeez, like that. so he I guess he never came close. Um, is all right. I'm gonna throw out another guess. Is one of them Rick Sutcliffe? Did he ever win twenty with the Cubs? No, oh, I'm gonna be so pissed off because I don't think I I think he did. I think he did. This is making me look bad. <laughs> Beating you at your own game. Just just a little bit. Yeah, damn it. 
He won 20 games in 1984. I'm telling you, he wasn't listed. I'm telling you, he wasn't listed. So you're there are 13. <laughs> stop least, guessing guys. At least stop, stop, stop guessing the guys that that I didn't <laughs> that I that I glossed over. Um, so there are 13 at least, and you have um, six of them. You have five of them. Five. Because your last official guess um, was Jimmy Key. Right, I got and, that and wrong. That, but I thought I, I thought I was. I thought I started with five. You started, and then with I five. just got. Oh, you just got Rick. Just got Sutcliffe. Sutcliffe. So you got you 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 got six. Yeah. Man, that's embarrassing. Oh man, um, it is twelve thirty three. So I I, I got to give you ten seconds for each one. Though. Yeah, we can we can we can wrap up soon. Um, gosh, who? And you sh- can also tell see, me now. My now my head's stuck on shame on me. Um, I I. Give, all right, give me – I'm going to take an X on this one. Give me one correct answer that might get the ball rolling in my head for another one or two, if you can. Kevin Brown went 21-11 and 11 with Texas in 1992. The same Kevin Brown that uh, broadcast Orioles game? No, but everybody makes that joke. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Uh, Kevin so Brown. you have two misses and one given to you. So you can't get more than 12 right. Right. I'm not going to come close to 12. And you can I'm also say, hey, you know what? I give up. I got nothing. Yeah, I'd but like, to, ma- I'd like to make one more guess. Sure. But I don't know who that guess is going to be yet. Um, God, shame on me if I don't get this one. Was he an Oriole for most of his career? No. Small stint, but was really good elsewhere. Really good. Is he a Hall of Famer? Oh, um, um, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Yeah. Kurt Schilling went 22 and 6 with Arizona in 2001, 23 and 5 with Arizona in 2002, and 21 and 6 with Boston in 2004. So you have now gotten 7. Was that the shame on you answer? That was because he was part of your trivia question. Yeah. On, on, just the other night. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. And he's Kurt freaking Schilling. Yeah. Like he was it, those 3 or 4 years he was dominant. Yeah. Okay, so now now I'm thinking along the lines of Hall of Famers who played for the Orioles. But did not go into the Hall as Orioles. So Although most none of the guys of, on that list were None of these guys are Hall of Famers. Okay. None of these guys are Hall. I mean, Mike Flanagan once won 23 games in, in a season, but it was with the Orioles, and he's not a Hall of Famer. No. Um, neither is Pat I was, Dobson. I was thinking of Flanagan, but I, I don't remember him being that good with Toronto. He, he never won. He only won 20-plus games once, and it was with the Orioles with the year that he won the Cy Young, which I think was like 78 or something like that. Yeah. Um, one of these guys... So one of these guys was really old. Pitched when he was really old. Jamie Moyer. That was too easy. Jamie Moyer. <laughs> he went 20 and 6 with Seattle in 2001 and 21 and 7 in 2003 when he was about 47 years old. Now, he pitched through 2013 when he was 50 years old. Yeah. Um the other guy looked really old. And he's a former Cy Young award winner. But he was terrible with the Orioles and never pitched again after his one season in Baltimore. He looked really old. Looked. I remember seeing him and being like, "This guy's like 52 years old." And I'm, and like, I remember thinking that. And as an adult now, I looked him up last night. and I'm like, "Was did he look really old, or did he just look really old to a like a 13, 14 year old kid?" No, right. he he looked. He still looks like he was in his 50s pitching with the Orioles, but he was only 36. Shoot, I I'm not sure. You're gonna have to tell me that. His one. kid's a pitcher. His kid's a pitcher. Um, uh, I, I, is his kid a good pitcher? Um, I, 
I think he was supposed to be. I don't think he's in the league anymore. I, I don't know. Doug Drabeck. Okay. He went 22-6 okay. and six with Pittsburgh in 1990 when he won the NL Cy Young. He was really, really good. So he's a guy who was drafted out of high school in the fourth round, decided to go to college, and then got drafted out of college in the 11th round. Mm. And... But then he, he had eight straight seasons with a sub four ERA, and like five of those seasons were sub three. He was really freaking good. Yeah. And then he came to he he started to kind of deteriorate in the mid nineties, and then he came to the Orioles in nineteen ninety eight. He made somehow he got twenty three, twenty four starts despite having a seven twenty three ERA. Goodness gracious! Yeah, I'm, I'm fami- no, and he never pitched again. I'm familiar with Drayback. I would not have landed on his name. All right. Not a chance. So not, how many more are there? There's three left. One of these guys does stuff for press box. One of these guys had a whole craze about him, and one of these guys that won he won twenty games once, and it was like all because his offense probably scored like nine runs a game for him because his ERA was above was well above four when he won twenty games. Hmm. One guy does stuff for press by Ross Grimsley. Ross Grimsley really went twenty and eleven with Montreal in nineteen seventy eight. Wow, I would not have guessed that. But you did. Well, because you, you, if you hadn't said he does stuff for press box, I would have not had a clue. Yeah, that was too easy of a hint. But I'm just trying to wrap things up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of guesses. You can tell me the last Are you sure? Two. I think so. What, what one, one had a mania named after him. A mania? Mm-hmm. In the 80s. He was a craze. I think he won Rookie of the Year and Cy Young in the same year. Oh, no. Well now I'm now I know I'm gonna know the name, but I, I it's not coming to me. Fernando Valenzuela, oh. Fernando Mania. He went twenty one and eleven with the LA Dodgers in nineteen eighty six. I have his Dodgers jersey. It was a giveaway at the only LA Dodgers game I've been to. Yeah, that is shameful. Goodness gracious. Yeah, in nineteen eighty one he won Cy Young and Rookie of the Year when he went um 11, I'm sorry, he went 13-7 and seven with a 2.48 ERA and 11 complete games with 8 shutouts. Led the league in game started, complete game shutouts, and innings pitched at 192. Remember, 81 was when they had the strike in the middle of the season. Right. So they had two halves of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was... To be, to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that he ever pitched for the Orioles. Yeah, he, I, pitched, I didn't he pitched for the Orioles, I believe, in 1993. And I remember Stan talking about it a couple of years ago. He had like a 12-start stretch where his ERA was like sub-3. Finished the year with a 4-4-9 ERA, but he, that was the last time that I think that he was like good. Yeah. Um, and then you have one more. This one I wasn't sure if you could get or not. It's very His stint in Baltimore is very forgettable because we were all obsessed with the fact that he won 20, 20 games at one point in his career and not obsessed with the fact that his ERA had never been good. Can you tell me who he won 20 games with? Texas. Oh, um, um, I'll tell you, it's not Kevin Millwood. Kenny Rogers? You're thinking of, oh, I thought you were thinking of Kevin Brown, but Kenny Rogers did pitch for Texas, but it's not Kenny Rogers. When was this, 80s, 90s? Uh, he pitched for the Orioles in the early 2000s, and uh. he won 20 games in the late 90s with Texas. Oh, gosh. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Alfredo Simone. <laughs> no, no. Um, oh my God, if Kenny Rogers won 20 games. I'm gonna be pissed. No, he never won 20 games. He also 
never pitched for Baltimore. I was going to say, I didn't think... You were thinking of Kevin Brown. Probably. You were 100% thinking of Kevin Brown because yeah. he, he won 20 games with, with Texas. Yeah. Um, you give up? Yeah. All right, you have to give up. It's 1241. Yeah. Um, Rick Helling. I would I wouldn't have gotten that. Went twenty and seven with Texas in nineteen ninety eight, despite having like a four twenty one ERA or four forty one ERA. Because, I mean, it was Texas when they had Juan Gonzalez and and Ruff. It was a year before Palmero went back, but they had like Juan Gonzalez and they had um, uh, Ruben Sierra and yeah. Jose Canseco. Like they had like these mashers, and all they did was hit home runs. Pitcher wins, man. Yeah. Pitcher wins. It's it's an obscure stat, but twenty wins is still impressive. You have to be a good pitcher, for the most yeah. part, to win twenty games. Agreed. Right? Except that one year when David Price started eight zero and his ERA was like five ninety nine. Yeah. Because Boston's offense was so good. All right. So what do you think of the trivia question? I thought it was pretty good. That was a good question. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't get a couple more, but I'm also impressed with myself that I got two that you didn't account for. Yeah. They either weren't in there. Or I, I, mean, I did this. I, I got home from work last night. I had been awake for 18 hours and only had about three and a half hours um, of sleep the night before. So I was on fumes when I put this trivia question together. So it's either they weren't in there, which I've, I've noticed on Baseball Almanac, sometimes they leave guys out. I've noticed this. Uh, but there's also a good chance that I was so zombified that I just missed it. Yeah. So my apologies. You did no, get a couple of guys that weren't that. I didn't see on there. It's all good. It made me think. All right. And, you know, that's always a good thing. Keep yeah. it, keeping that brain age low. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us as we ran a little bit longer than we would have liked to today. But never going to cut off Ben McDonald and Jeff Arnold, or Stan for that matter. So uh, special thanks to Ben McDonald and Jeff Arnold for just incredible segments today. Thanks to Stan, as always, for his weekly segment, the founder of this show. And he's gracious enough to come on with us every week. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to us and giving us a platform to talk some Orioles baseball with you. Thank you to our sponsors for allowing us to be able to do this show. Thank you to Ryan Blake for filling in last minute for Zach Goodman. Always a pleasure there. I look forward to getting back on the airwaves with you on uh, Give That Fan a Podcast after this um, family feud is over and I am the champion. Zach and I are the champions. Um <laughs> Guys, we got to get out of here. Enjoy Super Wild Card Weekend. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a Ravens victory the next time we talk. Until then, see ya!